0: The apple of truth our bi-weekly podcast where we nerd out about our favorite tv shows
1: currently we're covering every single episode of good omens based on the book by sir terry pratchett and neil gaiman and because we are who we are we focus on details you didn't need but for sure deserved i'm lena and
0: i'm Vera.
1: and today we're talking about season two chapter six every day also, the finale.
0: Yeah, that's it is.
1: My summary for this episode is, all is explained, some situations get resolved, and then our hearts get broken and stomped on, while we are left with nothing but the shattered dreams of a happy ending. Shattered dreams of a happy ending.
0: I don't think I could say it any better than you did. This is... Uh, yep. I'm starting to feel the pain again, so uh, let's just get into our regular fun stuff. So, uh, British words of the episode. I have had to think about that a little bit. There was a few things that rang for me. One of which was jolly gagging. I'm pretty sure it's jollygagging. But turns out that is an American slang, so fuck that. The second big thing that rang for me was chinwag.
1: That was also on my list, but I did not go for it.
0: What did I think it meant? Did you have a guess?
1: I was pretty sure it's like running your mouth, basically.
0: Right. So, I, from the context thought that it means going for a walk <laughs> because Metatron says that we are in due for a ching
1: wag or we need to go
0: for a ching wag
1: <laughs> let's go have a chin wag
0: yeah let's go have a walk
1: no 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 okay nice it's an
0: idle chat or gossiping yeah running your mouth basically so it is thought to originate in the late 1800s i have found a couple of different dates anywhere between 1869 to 1885 and it is coming from obviously the word chin no and wag yes (laughs) chin in this context refers to the act of talking or chattering while wag is an old-fashioned term meaning to move back and forth which technically meant the chin or talking back and forth would be the chin wag and because chin is a boring word and i didn't want to be occupied by that anymore i looked more into wag because <laughs> i don't think i ever used nor heard the word wag really? in a, a real language so, middle wag comes from the Middle English wagon, spelled W-A-G-G-E-N, or a noun wag, as in W-A-G-G-E, which came from uh, the Old English wyen, which meant to oscillate or to shake. That, then, is regarded to kind of a form of wav, wow W-A-W, and that is kind of synonymous to... Wion. It was used, for example, when you had a loose tooth, which is kind of fun. So that would Because the be tooth good.
1: is also in your chin.
0: <laughs> but we're not talking about chin. I don't care. Yes, it works on multiple levels. But yeah, when your loose tooth is moving back and forth.
1: Waggling, wiggling, waggling. Oh my
0: God. Oh, I didn't even think of that. But yes, there are parallel formations from the same root in the Old Norse as well, and since you mentioned the Old Norse in the last I figured it might be fun to include that one. And that is from vaga, which means to cradle. In Swedish it is still used, vaga like that, V-A-G-G-A. And in Danish, it evolved into Vugge from V-U-G-G-E. Dutch people call it Wagen, which means to move. So it's all kind of connected to just some sort of a moving part. Something is going back and forth. I would
1: not be surprised if the German word for Vige, which is when you put the child into something to like in the cradle to move it back and forth, also is related to this. Hmm.
0: Funny you mentioned that. Because in the early modern German, it was Wagen, W-A-G-G-E-N, mm-hmm. or uh, in dialect, Wacken. Okay. So that meant to waver. So, you know, wag is actually a very interesting word that is like mother in a lot of different languages and (laughs) similar forms.
1: I'm pretty sure you have been in contact with this word a lot, but I'm considering the possibility you're not making the connection. Because what do you call it when a dog is moving the tail back and forth? He's wagging his tail. Oh. Wag and wagging. It's the same.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And I think you just did not make the connection.
0: Stop making sense. I don't like when that happens.
1: I'm sorry. It's only because I also considered doing chinwag. (laughs) Okay. But I did not go with chinwag. I also considered doing piffle, but that is a very boring word to research because it's of unknown origin. And I also considered doing baladesh, which also was of unknown origin. And so I was like... Oh, No, it's very funny. It was my backup word. So I went with a hefty jigger.
0: A hefty jigger. I did consider putting jigger on my list.
1: You should have because it's much more up your alley than mine.
0: This is why I was like, this is not a weird word to me. I use the word jigger all the time.
1: I was not familiar with it. So hefty just means like a big A strong, a lot. So ignore that part. So we're just going to focus on jigger. What did I think it means? I think it means a swallow, a gulp or a mouthful. What it actually means is... A measure used in mixing drinks that usually holds one to two ounces, which is 30 to 60 milliliters. But, in fact, there are over 20 meanings for the word jigger. Let's run through them. A double-ended vessel, generally a stainless steel or other metal, one end which typically measures one and a half fluid ounces, the other typically one fluid ounces. That is what you're used to in cocktail setting. A drink of whiskey. The sieve. used in sorting or separating ore, one who jigs, a miner who sorts or cleans by the process of jigging, a horizontal lathe used in producing flatware, a device used in the dyeing of cloth, a pendulum rolling machine for slicking or graining leather, a bicycle, a golf club, a warehouse crane, a light tackle, a jigamast, a small fishing vessel, a device used by fishermen to set their nets under the ice of frozen lakes. One who dances jigs, an odd-looking person. A short board or a plank inserted into a tree for a person to stand on while cutting off higher branches. A place or the name for any small mechanical device. There's more. For example, a streetcar drawn by a single horse, a kind of early electric cash register. It's yeah. So a jigger basically can be nearly everything depending on the region because some of those were American, some of those were British, some of them were New Zealand, some of them were nautical, some of them were archaic. So take your fucking pick. But mostly it's the one I know. Yeah, mostly it's the one that you are most familiar with which is for measuring. And so where does it come from? It comes from jig. Haha. Really? Who would have thought that? Wow. And that was basically where it ended. And I was like, no, this this can't be it. So I searched some more. Apparently, this is a really confusing movement because it keeps getting referenced as the one and a half ounce shot glass. For example, in America, 1836, but they don't know why it was called a jigger. And the only potential theory that I have found is that a jigger is also a tiny mite, like a tiny insect. And because it is a tiny measuring tool, that this might be where this was taken from. Uh Yeah, so I'm sad to say I cannot tell you where it exactly comes from. There are also... Theories that it might link back to Old High German, the fiddle, (laughs) the geige. But no explanation as to why. So I don't have any answers, but I have a list of alternative meanings for a jigger. And this is why I went with this, because it's fucking hilarious that one word can mean this much. English is a very inexact language.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Do you know why? It's because they steal and bastardize all languages around them.
1: Yes, of course. But still, it's been a while since we had a word that had this many meanings.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love it.
1: So, yeah, there you go. Jigger! And with the fun of the British words out of the way, let's get the facts and funs out of the way. There are some from IMDb. I did not put the ones that are also covered by Amazon in here. Instead, as per I put them in the episode. So, let's run through this. The Metatron is an angel who appears in Jewish, Christian, and Islamic lore. He does not appear in the Torah or the Bible, but he shows up in the Talmud, in the Kabbalah, and in the Book of Enoch. In that book, the title character, mentions in Genesis 4 and 5 as a man who walked with God and was not, becomes an angel and a high-ranking one sometimes sitting in for God. We remember season 1? To talk to me is to talk to God. David Tennant Crowley and Derek Jacobi, the Metatron, start together in Doctor Who, with Derek being the master before he regenerated into John Sim. Following the brief reference to Ian Banks' novel The Crow Road in Chapter 2, The Clue, featuring the Minnesota Companion to Owls, this episode shows the book cover fully on screen twice for extended periods of time. No part of the Crow Road bears any clear link to the events of this season or the last other than the similar fates of the book's protagonist's grandmother and the fate of Agnes Nutter in season one. So apparently in both, someone gets burned on the stake.
0: I feel weird about that. Why did they choose this specific book?
1: I would put it on the question list because I would be surprised if it is chosen randomly and there was nothing on the Amazon notes for this one.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And lastly, this song "Everyday" by Buddy Holly and the Crickets, which also gives its name, is also used in the opening of Cabin Fever of the TV show Lost. It is the song that John Locke's mother, in a flashback, dances to. So if this song seems familiar, now you know why. Well, for the last time in this season, Vero, would you please let us know what happened previously on Good Omens?
0: Uh, You say it better than me now. I'm just telling you. No. Do you want me to say it?
1: Yes of course. It always gives me the, the hmmm.
0: Uh we are actually starting now. <laughs> okay. Previously on a good omens. There was an attempt for an Armageddon. It failed. Crowley and Azraphel were exiled by their respective sites and left alone on earth until a naked Gabriel with no memory showed up on Azrael's doorstep. Both heaven and hell are trying to find him while Crowley and Azraphel hide him with a miracle. We got a lot of flashbacks and they are certainly all extremely relevant to our story. And now Shax has decided to storm the bookshop in an attempt to
1: find Gabriel. There we go. Very good summary, including even the relevant parts of season one, since we got some, for me, unexpected flashbacks of season one.
0: I know, I actually was quite surprised by a good chunk of things that happened in this episode, but...
1: But they worked for me, for the most part, which I am so torn about this episode, but we shall see how it goes scene by scene by scene by scene. All in all, I have 26 scenes, so let's get into it.
0: I have approximately a page and a half more notes than I Than usual. Do. <laughs> so good luck to us trying to get uh, through this one.
1: Yeah, we're not going to talk about how many notes I took. <laughs> we start right off where we left last episode. We are outside of the bookshop. The weather is still foggy. The demons are still there. The
0: weather outside is frightening.
1: Frightful. But the fire, so delightful. And because Aziraphale for once is actually ahead of the game, he is using battery-operated candles. Fairly Because though. they can't be blown out. <laughs> that,
0: was, that was actually quite smart, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. What was not smart is that being the only thing that he has prepared.
1: It's one more plan than he usually has. Fair
0: enough. He starts off by getting all decisively. And Nina says, can you or will you answer? A simple question and Zirafel says, Well, if I hear one, yes. And Which then she bl- blurs out a bunch of questions.
1: Three questions.
0: And he's like, Oh, yeah, none of these were simple. And you know, yes, I am here for Sassy, Sassy azy. Sassy azy. Sassy, azy. sassy, sassy And it feels like he has things in hand. It feels like he is competent at this point.
1: This is my favorite Zirafel moment. Sadly, from here on onwards, it is only downhill.
0: Yep. Well, I have a couple of little details that I really like. Then uh, I if I ignore everything else, they work really well in my head.
1: Well, please do point them out. I can use any tiny... Aziraphale positivity, because this episode, I will not be in a Aziraphale apologist on any level.
0: Oh, don't you worry. I will try to help as much as I can. Good. Now, we get that whole admission of, oh, it looked so simple on in Jane Austen.
1: Jane Austen? Mm, yeah,
0: and then so we get we- another
1: reference of her being a master criminal, which, <laughs> that was funny.
0: It is incredible. I love that. But from there, one of my favorite parts of this episode... Is coming up and it is literally basically everything Crowley and Heaven related.
1: Oh my God, we go up to Heaven. Crowley's self-assuredness, how he handles and wields himself, the way he walks, the way he talks, the way he changes his outfit, the way he still knows how everything works. I am sorry, I know we have been mentioning this, Sometimes through the season, but David Tennant's acting in this episode killed me on all the levels. I know that he is an incredibly amazing actor, like don't edge me. Yeah, no surprise there. But so is Michael Sheen. So are so many of the other people in this cast. But in this episode, I really feel that David Tennant killed them all when it comes to comparison.
0: Yeah. Honestly, this performance is one of the best performances he's ever given, I think. And boy, I've seen him do very, very, very good stuff.
1: We've seen him live. We've seen him nearly everything he's ever done. From this moment onwards, there is not a second where Crowley is on screen where I'm not 120% captivated on the good and the bad because of how he acts. Yes. There is nuance, there is depth, there is intensity.
0: And there is so many shocking revelations for me about Crowley this episode as well. Yeah. And we'll get into those later.
1: We go up and, of course, Muriel is starting to realize that maybe, 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 Mm -hmm. all of this is not the smartest idea. But Crowley gives us one of the best comparisons and that is angels are like bees. Mm Mm-hmm. Which... Yes.
0: I'm going to ask you one question. Yes. How good is your French?
1: Uh, Very bad. C'est très très mieux. (laughs) No, 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 mieux is better. Uh, C'est très mal. Triste. Mal? No, that's Spanish. C'est très triste. It's very sad.
0: Yeah, that that will work. So you wouldn't happen to know how to translate lead on to French, would you?
1: No, but I don't have to because Amazon has this for (laughs) us. I screamed, I literally screamed because Amazon says "Lead on" is reminiscent of Arnold Z, a famous line of David Tennant's Doctor.
0: He says it in the same tone as well. <sighs> I, I was know, like, where I... is she
1: going with this? All oh, right, right, is French. Mm-hmm. This took me way too long just now. I was like,
0: what? French? You got what? there. You got there. I love you for
1: it. But since we're talking about Amazon notes, let me get the other one out of the way because for David Tennant's heaven costume, costume designer Kate Karen found a pair of glasses that had angel wings on them, managing to keep the essence of the demonic Crowley, but with an angelic twist.
0: I love both of Crowley's outfits so
1: much. And the changes between... Except one thing, when he changes into the angel outfit, he has this (laughs) 90s... Keeping your hair bag, plastic, spiral thingy. Um, Lena. I hate to break this
0: to you, but you can buy this in shops again because it's I
1: know. what they call retro. I have an intense and irrational hatred of those things. Because every person that I have interacted with in real life that has worn one of those has been an utter... And total fucking asshole. And I am right there with you. I am sorry if you are a nice person and you use this. You are the exception. I have not met you. Everyone I've met who uses those is a horrible human being. Can Crowley please not wear this?
0: (laughs) No words. No words towards this.
1: But otherwise, his outfit is absolutely brilliant. Absolutely no discussion. And also, I feel like his way of walking is even more after he changes into the angel outfit
0: it's perfect the way we see them coming across the camera when the camera pans out and he just goes and he does a little hunch and just kind of walks past them yeah but there is a beautiful word it's like in Czech it means something like making small steps and just kind of tippy-toeing he's a bit shuffling
1: after them yeah i
0: think tippy-toeing would be would be like what i would (laughs) use in this because he literally just goes kind of like just uh the movement of crowley and everything it's perfect it translates the message absolutely brilliantly i am sorry i have glossed over your bees no. no, no,
1: no. More than that, I don't have to say, except the angels are like beasts. Yes, that is perfectly fine.
0: And I agree. It was incredible comparison. It works down to every single little details. And I asked myself a question at this point, why does he want to see records?
1: And I didn't understand. That made sense to me. He is trying to get more information because more information means more power. I had not realized that he was gonna go for, okay, like something had to been done to Gabriel. And so there must be a record because he still knows how everything works in heaven. That part I didn't expect that he still knew so much about everything. But mm-hmm. it made sense to me that he was looking into getting the nitty-gritty info from the others. Because obviously the demons know nothing because they're idiots. And the angels mm-hmm. are assholes, but not as much idiots as the demons are.
0: But they're still idiots. Yes, but not because as... Because they don't go back and, and like, maybe check what may have happened.
1: Yeah, no. But yeah. Sadly, we have to leave heaven and the hilarity and we have to go into the bookshop. And this scene was very cringe for me because it was so obvious what was going to happen the second Maggie started talking at the demons. I gotta I... say, I am really proud of my girl Shax because the way she has with words, the way she cuts Maggie is really well done.
0: I was slightly unhappy about the way Shax is super competent the one minute and then completely terrible leader in the next. Although it does make sense because those are completely different
1: treats. She has one skill set and that is words. She is great when it comes to torturing demons and people and humans with words or manipulating them with words. But she is a terrible leader. She has no grasp of authority, which is going to be hilarious if she indeed ends up becoming a Duke of Hell. Mm -hmm. So, I am here for that. But yeah, it was a bit whiplash with competent shacks, not competent shacks, competent shacks, not competent shacks. I'm there with you.
0: And regarding Maggie, do you know what she reminded me of? And I didn't realize this until my second watch. Because I was like, I hate this kind of behavior. This is terrible behavior. And I was like, oh no. She's like a small, tiny little ratty dog.
1: She's a carpet rat dog.
0: Yeah, she's literally, I am behind a fence so you can't get to me so I'm gonna be super confident and super cool and whatever. You can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want and you might be stronger than me. Come over
1: here and say it to my face. Oopsie.
0: Exactly. And then that reminded me of the time this small dog did that to our dog who was a mixed breed of a husky and a malamut and a wolf dog and the fence was broken and oh no, what happened? Well, the small dog got dragged under the fence into our garden and you know got what he deserved she deserved i don't care they deserved they deserved they had no business going close to the fence and the owner knew it and yet he let them go there and they got what they deserved so you know i kind of feel the same way about maggie
1: maggie we are in agreement yes. With Nina, I agree when she tells Maggie to leave them alone, but I don't agree with her backing up Maggie like, oh, she's the bravest person." Like, no, she isn't. Honey, no. I think that she
0: said it because she understood how difficult and cutting the words shucks was saying where to maggie and she understood that sometimes you don't need to hear the truth you just need a little bit of support to get over a hump and i think that's something that's gonna be helpful to maggie in time when she maybe becomes a person that i would not actively dislike hanging around with but we are not there yet
1: See, I agree that sometimes people don't need to hear the truth, but they just need support. I feel like you can find something positive about people without lying to them. And Maggie is a lot of things, but she is not brave.
0: That's fair enough. I feel like something we are just knocked out in her by this night, though, because she definitely, it had changed her. Yes,
1: there is a lot of things that we need to unpack on that level. Maggie's behavior does not make sense to me, but also we have not spent any time or any relevant time with Maggie that was not her whining about something, be it Rent or be it Nina or be it life. So this is the first time that we actually spend time with Maggie where she is not whining. I don't have another word.
0: Yeah, no, you are absolutely correct. And weirdly enough, she chooses Probably the most terrifying and dangerous situation of her life to not be whiny as much as she has been for the rest of her life. So, you know, sometimes these things just come out of us in the least expecting situations. So I support this. I really hope that she's gonna take something out of this night and she's gonna become a better person.
1: Maggie says, of course, you wanna come in here and say... Yeah, and then, of course, it's like, Who enters first? But our beloved Demon Eric, the copy I demon. Love-
0: Whee! I love Eric and I feel bad for all the Eric's that have died so far. And I also love the fact that Amazon always says that it's Demon Eric, regardless yes. of which version it is. So
1: Did you notice that the candle holder <laughs> that Zerfel has in his hand when he shows up and I was like, Maggie, what just happened? Is also battery operated? Yes, I have, because I noticed that the light didn't flicker. Yep. That does it maybe
0: connect to the fact that his bookshop has burned down from yes. an actual fire and now he's he afraid
1: to bring? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that is why we have so, so ginormous amount of fire extinguishers and why there is not a single actual candle anywhere. Because that. back in season one, it was a candle that rolled over and then set everything ablaze.
0: Yeah, it's a candle that he put down and lit.
1: Yep, so there we go. We turned the portal on, which, nice. That was a nice effect. I was here for that. Good plan. Yay, yay, yay. And then he is all high and mighty with, if everybody leaves now, nobody needs to get hurt. And Demon Eric is like, okay, sure, yep, turning around, let's get out of here. But obviously, no, that does not work.
0: Ah. This is actually a funny part of that scene. So anything involving (laughs) Crowley and Demon Eric, let's put it that way then.
1: Anything involving Crowley is not funny, it's amazing. Anything involving Eric is hilarious and we do need the short breaks of hilarity.
0: Well put. Thank you very much for reading my thoughts. Now the next thing that we get is our opening credits. I know we said that we were going to talk about it in the last episode, but...
1: This is going to be a long one and we say that Before we start going into the opening At over half an hour recording already So yeah We're not talking about this today But our new listeners don't know this At the end of every season We do a summoning episode There's a reason why it's called that Where we Summarize all that has happened in the season And where we talk about our thoughts and feelings And we have questions that we want answered We ask each other questions So do tune in in two weeks Because yes, this is going to be a bi-weekly release Which is our actual schedule You're welcome And do listen to us wrapping up the season And probably, at least on my part Crying our eyes out one more time
0: one last time. Okay, there will be talk about this. It is on the agenda for the summoning. But let's just keep moving because there are thoughts to be thought and there are words to be said.
1: And tears to be cried. And those. We go back to heaven and Crowley's face when he walks past Michael and Uriel undetected was giving me such joy.
0: Loved it. And then I noticed that his tattoo turned gold as well. I know that happened in the previous. Exactly.
1: I noticed that the first time. What I noticed in this one is that he has a gold tooth.
0: Also, I was wondering was like, what is this shiny thing in his mouth? Why does he have
1: a fucking gold tooth? I was like, why? Crowley. It's literally the only item of his outfit. No, it's not the only. No, it's the second item of his outfit that I don't like. But at least I don't have an irrational hatred of it. I just don't like it.
0: Yeah, I mean... I think that he is just going a little bit overboard just to test the boundaries. And if anybody's going to notice, this, because why the fuck not?
1: I mean, it, it is fitting of angels. And as we now very soon learn, he used to be a very high level of angel. Mm-hmm. So I would not be surprised if it's like matching his supposed splendor that it was supposed to be wearing back then.
0: So basically what we get here, I'm just going to describe it and then we can talk about it because I have lost my mind. <laughs> he asks for records on Gabriel, Muriel summons the file that says, Re, the matter of Gabriel, which I so found money. Regarding- funny. Yes, regarding the matter of Gabriel. Then Muriel says, well, I can't show you even if I wanted to because... You have to be a throne or a dominion or a buff just to be able to open something like this. And I do not have the clearance. And Crowley reaches out and opens the file. And that, I, excuse. I know we knew he was high up because he kickstarted the universe, but excuse
1: me? And this shows that you're not working in IT because I was not surprised that he had still access to all his old passwords, basically. Oh,
0: that didn't surprise me as much. The fact that he is that high up, like this means of I course. don't know exactly what throne or dominion means, but. I would assume that it would be like up there with the Archangels.
1: No, 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 no. Very easily. Archangels is the the top, top level. Also, in this reality, apparently Gabriel is the only first order of Archangel. So they have a separation of degrees within the Archangels, which I am not familiar with. So Hmm. I don't know how much of the, in quotation marks, actual levels of angels Gaiman used here. But... I did, back when we did Lucifer, I did some information about levels of angels, but I never went into too much detail. And I don't think we talked about thrones or dominions because those are not classic levels of angels, as far as I'm aware. I did not go into a devils in the details because ain't nobody got time for this when we do (laughs) weekly releases. When we are on a bi-weekly schedule, I am happy to do devils in the details, not with a weekly No. Maybe for the summoning or maybe for the future, I will do some research on some of the topics that came up. But I was not surprised that Crowley was this high up because Mm -hmm. it made sense. Like you said, he was involved in kickstarting the universe. When we talked about that flashback, I literally said he is the one that created the universe. Yes, God was part of making the plans, but Crowley is literally the one making it, which has to put him on a very, very high level. So... I did not find this surprising. It made perfect sense to me and I enjoyed it.
0: Oh, I fucking love that. But that also, if you think about it, might mean that when he was still an angel, he was quite high above Zorafel.
1: Yes, most definitely.
0: Which then brings me to an interesting point power balance and everything but we will talk more about the relationship for sure
1: to me it's not a power differential that is relevant here to me it is a knowledge differential because Crowley was higher he saw more and because he fell he had more insight on both sides so that to me is the relevant difference
0: no I agree I agree You just have a way with words to phrase things Better than me especially these days
1: I did put a lot of thought Into this episode I Mm. spent a lot of time writing everything We go into the bookshop In the beginning of the scene I'm like Oh yeah like this is amazing The portal sucks up the demons but the demons can't go To heaven so they are Simply discorporated. Which amazing plan yeah? But then obviously Aziraphale Points out not even demons are so dumb That they will just keep walking into The portal, which I'm pretty sure if he had just kept standing right behind the portal, yeah, they would have.
0: They would have if it weren't for Shaxx, because Shaxx is the one who stops them and...
1: But only after they start moving away from the portal. They should have stayed put until someone realizes it, because it would have just dwindled the numbers so much more because at some point it would become a numbers game yeah but sadly this is the moment where we realize Aziraphale did not think this through he has he no not. second step he has no plan b he has no alternative he has nothing he is right now in the position This is where Crowley should show up to save me. He's not saying that, but in my opinion, this is what is going through his brain.
0: This is what he expected to happen, because that's always what happens. Because Crowley is always there for him.
1: And I'm upset, because he seemed so competent. But my silver lining here, because he does not have a backup plan, a next step, or a plan B, it means that what he said last episode, that Crowley enjoys rescuing Aziraphale so much, which I took as a, oh, I made the choice to be rescued. No you truly are so incompetent that you need rescuing. So it was not a deliberate act throughout the last few millennia that Crowley had to save your ass. Because that would have been so much worse for me. Because that I would read as malice.
0: Mm -hmm. The problem with that is I believe that he believes that he is letting Crowley save him. But it is not actually.
1: Delusion is not malice. Yeah.
0: Delusion is not
1: malice. It is not great. I'm still not happy. But I am less upset and unhappy in this scene than I would have been if he had another plan.
0: Yes. Little lightness a joke
1: of this scene is (laughs)
0: seeing, oh, first of all, yes, Nina, but like also seeing Jim in the background just like sitting there and clapping going, yay, this is fun. They're so sparkly as the demons are sucked into the oblivion.
1: He's enjoying himself a lot. I am always here for Jim. I have to say Jim is very adorable, but Mm. I am now with you on team Nina. Because Nina in this episode is really doing all the deeds. She's getting all the points. She's doing all the things. It's amazing. And then when she goes, does what you say make sense in your head? (laughs) I am just like, hell yeah. Preach it, queen. Preach it. So, yeah, Nina is growing on me step by step by step. Maggie isn't, so no. But Nina, yeah, I'm here for her. Uh, Yeah,
0: well, and then we're gonna skip to heaven very, very briefly to watch Gabriel being an arse, basically, and shutting down the second
1: Armageddon. So this scene, we are watching a recording of basically a conference of a meeting. This is basically a Zoom meeting that we're watching between angels, right?
0: I think that they were there in person, but we are getting the close-ups. Yeah, it feels like a Zoom.
1: No, because usually the Metatron only has a head and with the other angels you see a bit more of their body. So I actually do think that this is like the projected image that they do project. (laughs) So I really think this is a Zoom meeting and they are going through the motions because why would they come together? They're all busy, you know? So we're starting with the, okay, like next order of business, la, 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 la. And then if we do this, then yay, we're going to win and eternity and la, la, la. And then Gabriel just goes, nah. And I'm like, what? It's so unlike him.
0: I was so confused.
1: Exactly. And at this point, I had no idea. Yeah. It came completely out of the left field for me. It makes perfect sense. And we're going to talk about that. But I was like, Gabriel seems very non-Gabriel. He's Mm -hmm. still an arrogant prick, don't get me wrong. But not like this. Mm -hmm. But the way he goes, like, nah, yep. It's like,
0: what, what? Yeah, and then I love how Uriel is the one who actually suggests the coup. Yeah. Clearing the roster. So, uh, Uriel feels somewhat more capable than Michael. Wait, wait,
1: wait, 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 wait. That was the next order of business, the cleaning schedule.
0: yeah. Cleaning the roster, yeah.
1: That's not a cue. That's, that's not a coup. That's, that was the next order of business.
0: Well, I thought that clearing the roster means getting rid of Gabriel because he disagreed and he didn't want to go ahead with the I Armageddon. love
1: this, but I just thought that Gabriel asked what is next on the agenda and Uriel tells him what is next on the agenda which is making the roster for the cleaning schedule
0: no roster can mean two things yeah I I know
1: schedule or people I see where your reading comes from I just totally didn't see it (laughs) because Gabriel goes like yay I don't think
0: he gets it at that point because he's Gabriel and he's... I want to put this on
1: the question list. If that was Uriel, like straight up in Gabriel's face going like, all right, let's talk about how we get rid of you. Finger guns.
0: I mean, the next thing is the trial, so...
1: (laughs) I love this reading. I didn't see it. <laughs> As for now, we have no second Armageddon because Gabriel is against it and we don't know why. Which led me to believe that Michael has had to have a hand in all of this because Michael by far is the most vocal about Woo woo woo, Armageddon, Armageddon, and road. So I was sure Michael did something, which mm-hmm. of course we're soon gonna learn no. <laughs>
0: Now, very briefly back into the bookshop again, where Maggie is somewhat capable because she's the one who suggests the extinguisher.
1: Yeah, I mean, she has a lot to make up for, so I don't want to call her capable but yes, even I did write down that blasting demons with fire extinguishers into the portal is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, this is why I didn't say just capable, I said somewhat.
1: (laughs) No, but it is pretty cool also visually. Yeah. And of course, this is the scene where we get another confirmation that all of this with the fire extinguishers and the candles is because the bookshop has burned before.
0: And you know what? It took me until about half an hour ago to remember that the bookshop actually burned in uh, Season 1. So, you know, I am also not always remembering things from Season 1. So I hope that makes you feel better about yourself.
1: Sometimes, yeah. But usually (laughs) the way both of us keep forgetting random shit and the other goes like, obviously. It's like, okay, yeah, perfect. This is why we do this together. True. We are going up to heaven. And for some reason, I have written down Crowley saying what I am thinking. I don't remember what I was thinking, but he is saying what I'm thinking. Oh, right. He's saying that Gabriel does not seem like Gabriel, that he is behaving in a very non-Gabriel way. And I'm like, yeah. see Again,
0: Crowley is us.
1: Yes, he us. really is. Yeah, really it really
0: works. <laughs> works. So, Seraquiel shows up because apparently... She's the only angel in heaven who can actually pay attention to their surroundings.
1: Also, did you notice that this interaction gives credence to my claim that Crowley honestly did not remember further because he simply does not remember other people?
0: I have a theory about that. Okay, let's hear it. Saraguel says that they worked together on a Horsehead
1: head nebula. Which was discovered by a Scottish astronomer named Williamina Fleming in 1888.
0: And it's very beautiful, by the way. Oh yeah, it is. It feels at this point that everybody remembers him and he remembers nobody. And my theory is... That he was so high up, he was practically famous, so everybody knew who he was, but he didn't know who they were.
1: I can live with that. I would not say famous, but I think he was very high up. Yeah. But people knew him, but he did not know people. So when I said he truly did not remember further, I was right.
0: Yeah, in the new context... I agree with you.
1: That is all I want.
0: There is also some stuff about fur fur that I wonder. Oh, we're um, going to talk
1: about fur fur.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Saraquil does something that I did not expect. Instead of sounding any alarms, she goes, well, don't let me interrupt you.
1: Which makes sense to me because Saraquil wants to get to the bottom of this. And the easiest way to do that is to have Crowley get to the bottom of it and just make sure you stick to his side while he does that.
0: Because he has proven before to be fairly capable.
1: Exactly. So it makes perfect sense to me that Zirekwell is like, okay, we're going to see how this thing unfolds.
0: As it will be a theme or it is a theme in this episode. It makes complete sense, yet it was surprising to me.
1: Yeah, I I see what you Yes. Yes. For a moment you go like, huh? Yeah, of course. Exactly. That's that's the reaction. That is the repeated, hmm, of course. Like, huh? obviously.
0: Yeah. Obviously.
1: Obviously. Like, duh. It's like, huh, duh. Perfect. Yeah. Hurdur. And,
0: <gasps> hurdur. <laughs> sorry. Where did hurdur come from?
1: <laughs> my, because, huh on duh, and then huh, <gasps> huh, duh, huh duh. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> my brain is funny. To me, the most important comment I have in this scene is, Crowley is having way too much fun in heaven. He seems to me that he is incredibly secure and safe. Like, he feels incredibly secure and safe there. Why? Where does this confidence in literally being untouchable come from?
0: The only thing I can imagine is, again, he was so high up. He was extremely powerful. And he knows the ins and outs of heaven like basically nobody else because he is the only person who has ever asked any questions, who ever explored anything beyond his own responsibilities. So he knows exactly what to expect from every single angel up there because he also knows that they never change their ways. They never change their passwords. They never change anything. Everything is still exactly the same as it was before he fell.
1: So he is feeling so secure because he knows or he believes to know how everything is going to play out and this is why he is acting the way he is acting because he already knows what's going to happen so why be anything but confident
0: yes they cannot surprise him that makes sense Good. I agree with that.
1: (laughs) I am good with that. That is fine. Thank you.
0: (laughs) You're welcome.
1: We go down into the bookshop and Shax gives one of the most devastating and sadly accurate remarks when she talks to Aziraphale. Because Mm -hmm. she says... What are you? Crowley's emotional support angel?
0: Yes, yes, he is. But she also goes off on another speech that cuts quite deep, not gonna lie. She calls him the one who went native, the soft one.
1: Should I send up the sushi? Damn.
0: You know what? It really, really hurts. And this is, you know, a wild theory. She is... Maybe a little jealous of Azrafel because she doesn't really understand why Crowley, that she clearly admires Crowley. She respects Crowley. Yeah. Why even now. Crowley, even now, even w- with everything he's done, and even though she calls him a traitor at any chance she gets, she doesn't understand why somebody like that, who she has been looking up to for so long, would find any interest in someone like Azrafel. And I think that's why she is being so. Fucking
1: harsh For Shax, there is nothing worthy or good in quotation marks Because hell doesn't do good But like interesting, worthwhile, capable Anything that would register to her as positive within Aziraphale There is nothing there He is everything that she deems a failure And Mm -hmm. so I am very much with you She idolizes Crowley to a certain degree and. So to have your idol, or possibly your mentor, or someone you would like to have as your mentor, be with someone you deem so unworthy definitely motivates Shax to cut even deeper. Mm-hmm. But the sad thing also is nothing she says is wrong. Israel mm-hmm. is the soft one. He is the one to go native. He is the one to consume the human products and everything.
0: But that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, but it's true.
1: And that is is why it hurts. Because Mm -hmm. the way she frames it turns it into something bad. And because everything she says is true, there is no way of denying it even within Aziraphale himself. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem.
0: But this is what she does. She did exactly the same thing with Maggie.
1: I think she she did even worse with Aziraphale. Because she knows more about Xerophil and Crowley's relationship, she didn't know as much about Maggie. Yeah,
0: she doesn't care.
1: Yeah, because she didn't about need to
0: anything
1: about Maggie. Maggie was yeah. too obvious. It was very simple. Yeah. It's just a human. I mean, come on, we are very simple creatures. We are. Literally, what she said to Maggie, you could say to like 90 percent of humans, and still it would make them feel bad. Yeah, it's the same way horoscopes work. Um,
0: <laughs> sorry, um, but we continue the battle with the fire extinguishers and mm-hmm. then it goes off to books.
1: Encyclopedia because it's in the internet anyways.
0: I can't help but notice that Zrifel isn't really doing that much since the He's doing nothing. Ring... Yeah, he's, do- he's just standing around looking really worried.
1: No, the only thing he actively does is tell Jim to go into his room because he will be safer there. So he is still actively protecting Gabriel. That is the only active thing. Anything else, he is passive. He is yeah. being asked questions and he replies, but he does nothing. All the way up to where he does the Halo thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, technically, he wouldn't have had to done anything anything not even the circle thing if Maggie didn't fuck up and didn't invite them in but yeah but that's it's not surprising another matter it's absolutely not surprising
1: but it is surprising to Aziraphale because how does Nina phrase it later on he's the one who believes in the good in people who believes in magic and all that yeah
0: Yeah, because basically Maggie and Aziraphale are the same type of a person
1: well there are, are parallels sure, but yeah, we're gonna but talk they about are gonna that draw on
0: yeah that. <sighs> but the trial
1: we go up to heaven the trial with the metatron did you recognize him instantly yeah good did you not yeah of course but i love the metatron because he is horrible i hate him with every fiber of my being and i love Mm -hmm. to hate him Mm -hmm. like the actor really knows how to make sure that you detest him
0: listen he's the master of course he knows
1: yes perfect casting fucking perfect casting
0: Plot twist. He's actually the master who is coming after the 10th Doctor, who is basically <laughs> alternative universe. That trolley. is
1: definitely an AU fan fiction that someone has written. Please, dear listeners, if you know of such a fanfiction, send it to Vero so she can read it.
0: Or write it and then send it to me. Perfect. Anyway, obviously, they're bringing the casting down to hell. And Gabriel is so fucking fine with that. I was like, what? What's going the fuck? What? How?
1: Gabriel is the one who brings up the whole falling. Because he is, obviously, you're going to be sending me to hell. And he's very much okay with it. Which, of course, later on makes perfect sense. Because he's going to be like, hey,
0: Baltimore! This is what I was going for anyway. (laughs) Basically.
1: But... Now, this makes sense with the we cannot have it happen twice because they cannot have Gabriel fall like Lucifer fell. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Which, Le Misérable in my brain... Again, you fall like Lucifer. No, um, sorry.
0: So first of all, let's say the four quotes that we get this time. For one prince of heaven to be cast into outer darkness makes a good story. For it to happen twice makes it look like there is some kind of institutional problem.
1: Which there isn't.
0: Which there obviously is. but Which needless that's... to say,
1: <laughs> there isn't. I love the double downing on that one. It's like, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Let's also point out the fact that you were only half right, but you were still half right in your prediction. Because in this situation, Gabriel is the again. However, Zyrafel is not it.
1: So we do the trial. And as you pointed out, Gabriel is very willing to fall. Right after they tell him, oh, no, 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 you're not going to fall, he has a very okay let's get on with it attitude he's like okay um so if i'm not gonna fall but we're gonna just demote me i need to clean up my desk and change my gloves and he's very nice like okay let's get on with it like he very very obviously has a plan he's like da, 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 let's get for the motions. so i was like hmm honey mm-hmm. where are we going with this
0: I did not understand why he starts asking for the clothes, but it is basically just an excuse to buy time.
1: See, I understood this as Gabriel is still Gabriel. Gabriel is still incredibly arrogant and egotistical. He really would have preferred to keep his fancy clothing. And since they were like, no, he used it as an excuse for more time. Yes. But I think initially he was like, okay, I'm going to keep my clothing because it's pretty and tailored.
0: And I look cute. (laughs) <laughs>
1: because like that is one of the things we see in a flashback. Where we're like, oh, I look so great. Like, oh my god, we were actually yeah. right about this. So wow.
0: Yeah. <sighs> now he is going to be demoted to junior recording angel, thirty eighth class. So one class below Muriel. Oh, that
1: isn't so bad.
0: Now that is a good question. Then does this mean that Muriel is the yes. bottom of heaven? There's nobody below Muriel. Yes. Until yeah, which is sad. Because I love Muriel. They are amazing.
1: Also, Muriel's naivete is starting to grate on me. Mm. If Muriel is around in season three, I need them to get savvy fast. While I did not appreciate Metatron calling them dim, he wasn't wrong. Mm, and I yes. am a bit over it.
0: I think it's a good thing that they are in possession of books now. Because I feel like you can learn a lot about things We will see. However, books are just embellished reality. And
1: books aren't life. So let's see how it goes. But this is the moment where Muriel's childlikeness in some ways is starting to grate on me. That's fair. Thankfully, there is not that much more screen time for Muriel. So they don't get the chance to get on my nerves too much. But they still manage it a bit. So... Eh, I'm going to get it out of the way here so I don't have to complain about it later on because there's other things I need to complain about. Before we wrap this scene up, my brain was like, okay, his memory is gone, but they didn't wipe it. So he has to have put it somewhere safe. And, I mean, soon we're going to learn, but... It's not like someone called it, right? So
0: as you can see right now, I'm doing a little victory dance, which Lena <laughs> did her own victory dance when I was talking. For being about half you right, right? You were half right. Well, now not only we're gonna learn some things. I was right about we're going to learn about multiple theories that, in fact, would have I thought that they were going to be separated and they were not. They were actually just one big theory. Yes. I did not see coming.
1: Before we go into this, we have a super, super short pop over to the bookshop where nothing really happens except the fact they are stuck upstairs. That's it. Yeah. So they're starting to throw books. They run out of everything. So, yeah. But it's like not even 30 seconds long and we go back into heaven and we keep watching Gabriel.
0: Excuse me, they have a literal security video of him, basically. They have a CCTV of Gabriel. And they didn't think to look at it when he went missing?
1: I think they looked at it. I just think that they're fucking stupid. I think the angels are so incompetent that while looking at it, they could not tell that he was writing on the box. And even if they did, they don't know where the box is.
0: But also Crowley literally watches him get onto the elevator.
1: Yeah, which is why they go down to earth to look for him.
0: No, they do it because of the miracle. They go down because of the miracle. They found the matchbox. But also if
1: he's not in heaven, he has to be on
0: earth right? Yeah, I mean, that would be a logical conclusion. However, (laughs) as we learned, angels are not very...
1: No, but the miracle is the reason they show up on Aziraphale's doorstep, but they they look for him... No. Okay, it's been a while. A few weeks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They haven't left heaven to look for him.
1: Hmm. I mean, maybe they really are that stupid and I am trying to defend the angels, which I really don't want to do. But we see the writing on the box. We have the dropping of the matchbox. We have some juggling of everything. Jiggling. While all of this happens, the angels are like, oh, well, we can wipe his memory while he isn't there. The way they go about the whole memory wipe business gives to me the impression that this is a system that is frequently employed. And so I do wonder, is this a reason why Muriel is so dim? Because their memory was wiped?
0: Ah, I, oh my god, I actually love that.
1: Because Muriel is the lowest level of angel. And if Gabriel had been processed as was intended, he would have been the new lowest level and he also would have been put into recording right which is where muriel is and so my brain goes is this the reason muriel is so incapable and naive because oh. their memory was wiped.
0: yeah that's I did not expect to blow my mind like this and it just <laughs> did. That is a really good theory. I love that. We're gonna put it on the list. Let's put it on the list. And, well, surely we're gonna learn more about Nero in Season 3 because that's definitely happening Amazon.
1: Neil has already said that if we don't get a Season 3, he will write a book.
0: I have said if... We don't get Greenlit Season 3 from Amazon. I will start a Kickstarter to try to fund it.
1: (laughs) No, Nila has already said, if he doesn't get a Season 3, he will write a book. So we will get a resolution to this one way or the other. Good. The last thing I want to talk about in this scene Mm -hmm. is the level of angels and where the Metatron belongs. Because as I read it... He is even higher than Gabriel. Yes. But Gabriel has been harping on about the fact that he is the only First Order of Archangel. And thus he is the only one to make certain choices and decisions. And so that makes me wonder, is Metatron outside of the ranking? And thus he does not relate to their ranking system or is he higher than Gabriel within the ranking system?
0: I think he's outside of the ranking because the way other angels see him and the way he presents himself which I don't think is necessarily true. He as a voice of God is the representation of what God wants to do mm-hmm. and since she's been very quiet this season
1: She's been completely absent this fucking season except Mm in flashbacks, which is also incredibly curious because the Metatron is so much more involved.
0: Yeah. It reminds me, for the lack of a better comparison, to the supernatural Metatron, where he literally is so full of himself that he believes that not only... He is the voice of God. He also knows exactly what God wants to say, even though when God doesn't say it.
1: He is the voice and he knows the will, despite the fact that he has had no contact for ages. Yes. I think there was a Tumblr post with random unintentional crossover, like telling Metatron to shut the fuck up or something. So, yeah. Checks out. I see the crossover. I see the relation between the two Metatrons. They even have some visual similarities between the two of them. And both actors did a great job at making me hate them with a passion. So, yeah.
0: Very true. (sighs) All right. We go into the bookshop where uh, desperate measures must be taken.
1: Did you see anything coming with the halo? Like, anything of it? The existence of it? The usage of it? I was like, what?
0: I was not surprised... Of its existence for one reason, one reason only. And that is... And I think that ended up in the bonus, unfortunately, for you, our regular listeners and not our patrons, where you mentioned there was a snippet of a comic about an angel with a stolen halo.
1: Yeah, the posters that are outside of the music shop.
0: So the existence, the sheer existence of a halo in this universe was Mm -hmm. not a surprise to me. But everything else that happens with it, I was like, what the fuck? Because first, I thought that he was going to explode himself or something because it was coming from his head and then he starts lifting it up.
1: Yeah, and he was making such weird noises. I was like, what the fuck is happening?
0: It, it felt like he is in
1: pain. Yeah, it was painful. And it felt
0: like he is creating, a, because he keeps mentioning, I haven't done this since the Great War and stuff like that. It felt like he is creating his, like, a battle-ready shape. Mm. So I thought he was just going to pop a halo on top of his head and, like, jump in and like start smacking them with his wings or something like <laughs> that he's actually gonna actively fight which obviously doesn't happen and it makes sense that Azrafel would never ever fucking do that but, <laughs> you know that was my image where this was leading up to
1: I was super surprised seeing a halo within Good Omens despite me pointing out the posters and despite me just watching a show that literally is about a halo because I was watching Warrior Nun and it is about <laughs> a halo so I was like, "What it also it seems so fucking painful when he's pulling it out." So I was like, "Well, okay, so he did use it in the big war, which okay, now confirmation that he actually fought in the Great War, but this does not seem like sensible. Like why would you okay. I was very confused but also impressed because whoosh, no more demons. I just do not understand how every single demon gets whooshed and Shax is lying on the couch. Because Shax
0: is the reason why they were all there. She is the one who let the thing and therefore hence she needs to await a trial.
1: And you think the halo differentiates that? Yes. Okay, that is a good point. No. I'm with that
0: (laughs) alright also uh, poor Eric this is the third time this episode he dies
1: and this is where Amazon notes oops never mind this is where Eric dies for the last time in season two
0: (laughs) yeah like we're gonna trust you this time and actually it's
1: yeah this time it's actually true but sassy Amazon notes the line Aziraphale says with the, I think I may have just started a war. That was in the trailer, right? I don't remember. We I heard remember this before. It. Have we? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Because huh. I was so confused that something from the last episode made it into the trailer. But I am 99% sure that this is from the trailer.
0: I don't remember hearing it, but it is possible that I just pushed it out of my brain. because I also completely
1: forgot is- about it. Because yeah. we watched the trailer. We did a reaction thing and everything. And we had thoughts about it and theories, and la 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 la. And I completely forgot it because never once in the last five episodes have we talked about the "Mm, hmm, Azerothon in the trailer said something about a war, but there is no war. It's been two months since we watched the trailer, so I think it's
0: completely understandable.
1: I mean, yeah, but also we're still us. It's true. So I was very confused (sighs) about this. Yeah. Okay, now we start moving into problem territory. So, let's see.
0: Basically, he throws a halo, he has started a war, and obviously that sets off alarms in uh, heaven. Heaven. I'm in heaven.
1: And in heaven, Crowley simply tells everyone what to do and everyone does exactly what he tells them to do. I am so here. And I know I kept saying like Dom that is Dom Crowley. That is oh, Crowley um. being like, uh, 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 and everyone is saying, yes, jawohl, it is beautiful. I would absolutely die
0: for Crowley and oh, his yeah. walk and his heaven outfits and the way he looks at Michael and Uriel on the way on the lift.
1: The way he's leaning on the doors... Yeah,
0: and the way he transfers from his heaven outfit into his health outfit and immediately his face goes into this smirk that is absolutely (gasps) perfect because he knows exactly who he has in the lift and he knows exactly that they're not going to do anything.
1: He is enjoying this so much and I am here for it. Do you know what I'm not here for? No. We walk into the bookshop and Aziraphale says, you came back. Oh fucking course
0: he came back. Okay, I think this is a little bit of an overreaction. I think this is just an English thing. Oh, you came back. Yay, you're here now. No,
1: no, 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 no. This is a you came back into the situation. And I'm like, as if he'd ever leave you. He has never left you. He has always come back. And this marks the beginning of the end for me. This line.
0: I was not there yet because this for me was a throwaway line. I didn't care about this line. I didn't hear this line. I didn't write it down.
1: I'm in caps. Of course he came back.
0: My cups is when Crowley says, oh, what happened here? And Raffael goes very awkwardly, I did the thing with the halo.
1: And Crowley loses it?
0: (laughs) Crowley loses it and I lose it with him because I was like, you blew up your halo. And I was like, this is... So perfect. Because up until this point, I wasn't 100% sure what happened with the halo. I knew he threw it. I knew things happened. People it went whoosh. But like, does this mean that he no longer has his halo? Or does it mean that he is going to grow another one back? As That's the way...
1: how I understood it. Because yeah. if this is something that you use in the Great War, I doubt it's a single use. So I yeah. would assume it basically recharges. And since he literally activated it in his head and then pulled it out, I would expect him to be able to build another one over time. I don't know how much time, but yeah, that was my assumption. But Crowley's joy about this was beautiful. He is so proud of him. I was more entertained than proud, in
0: my opinion. I think he was kind of proud as well, because I think that he understands exactly what an action like that meant and what it meant to be done by Azuraphale. I wouldn't be surprised if he has have done it before.
1: No, because in the Great War he fought on the other side and he already didn't have a halo anymore. Before the Great War there was no usage for this.
0: Well, we don't know that in this universe.
1: Aziraphale said, haven't done this since the Great War. We're only supposed to do this when we are at war. And before the Great War, there was no war.
0: Hmm, look at that. So he is just maybe <laughs> regretting not being there when Aziraphale did that. Because we all know that he loves just watching Ezrafel do
1: stuff. I mean, he in general just loves watching Aziraphale no matter what. But before we can dwell more on the interactions between those two, swoosh and hell pops up into the bookshop. And now we have heaven and we have hell. As per both on the heaven and the hell side. We have some of them who are like, uh, war, uh, war. So uh, it's mostly Dagon and Michael, I feel, who are like, uh, war. And the rest is like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay.
0: <laughs> it feels like... There is a certain parallel to each of them on each side. So I actually really, really enjoy that. Oh,
1: yeah. I am here for the Michael Dagan parallels because they are very, very similar in many regards. Mm -hmm. And they have utter dislike for each other, which I am also very much here for.
0: And obviously, Shax now understands she gets woken up. She's told, remind me to put you in for a commendation. And sarcasm. She just looks at Crowley going, sarcasm? And he goes,
1: This is such a tiny but incredibly sweet interaction. Because just like with the male in last episode, aside from all the big game stuff that is happening, those two have a normal rapport with each other Mm -hmm. and i love the way it's just like in parallel to the actual happenings once in a while just sprinkled in there
0: yeah even later on
1: with the well if you're gonna move on like can i have my apartment (laughs) back like
0: (laughs) oh it's it's so perfect
1: while belzebub is sarcasming shacks I noted, oh, I this is the very first time in season two that Beelzebub is not depressed. Well, look at that. Yep. I wonder why. Yep. So, curious. On, of course, through it makes sense because Beelzebub must have known some of the things that happened because they gave... Gabriel the container and everything. But this is literally the first time we see Beelzebub in a not depressed state.
0: Not sitting around, not being moping, busy, not moping around. Yeah. And we get a little bit of an explanation from Crowley about what happened and how they hit Gabriel.
1: How Gabriel... Oh, yeah, right, with a miracle and everything, yeah.
0: And to quote, apparently, if we do a miracle together, it all works a bit too well. And I just went, no shit, Sherlock, it's called
1: love. No, remember, the miracle color turned purple. We were very much in agreement that they accidentally tapped into Gabriel's archangel powers.
0: Yes, but
1: so I think he's wrong in his assumption that it is because the and he did a miracle together, which cute feeling, no, the colour was wrong. <laughs>
0: What color would you have accepted for the miracle to be in order for it to be a love miracle? Any
1: color except purple. Because purple is the color of Gabriel's eyes.
0: Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, I was just living for Crowley's assumption. So. Oh, so I am here
1: for his assumption and I don't mind that he is wrong. I just want to point out he's wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the show is wrong. We are
1: correct. You Mr. Heard Gaiman, sir, back in the book, you <laughs> made a mistake. We did the math. <laughs> yes, if you're curious what we're talking about, listen to the future episodes of Stardust, the book. Coming future out of Stardust. in a few weeks. <laughs> coming, it out, uh,
0: coming to your ears in uh, October.
1: So he Maybe. talks about the miracle and then he gives us an exposition about everything, how it happened. And I am here for exposition Crowley. The way Aww. he lays it out. Where's the box? He takes the box. We look inside the box. There's an Amazon note in a moment. He turns over the box. He empties out the box. We see the information on the back. And then he's like, oh, I am in the fly. And then he looks straight at Beelzebub. He's like, "Ah, oh, Lord Balzebub, I think flies are more your corner. And it's like, Dude. Can you be any more perfect and suave and in fucking control of this entire situation that you knew nothing about, like, ten minutes ago? How? How? I am in awe. I am aghast. I am
0: ha! I Emma. am in love. He is so perfect. Crowley, <laughs> he is so much more than we could have ever imagined before, Ever. even reading the book after reading the book like after seeing season one we had no idea the depths and the reach and we had no Crowley... idea
1: about the level of his competence once unleashed
0: yeah huh? we assumed but we would have never been able to guess anything like this and that starts with episode one when we see him kickstart the universe and it ends with episode six when we see him walk through heaven in white clothes and gold
1: tattoos and and commanding the entire room because heaven is just one room so yeah it is there are no walls seriously yeah
0: you're right you're absolutely (sighs)
1: right I am I'm getting shivers Mm. love it love it
0: love it okay so we get I am in the fly Beelzebub says there is only one fly in this room and it is familiar. Which, first of all, when I watched it the first time, I did not understand why the fuck is it familiar. When I watched it the second time, I was like, oh my god, it's a fly. It's their
1: fly. When I watched it the first time, I was like, of course it's familiar. It's a fly. You know all flies.
0: <laughs>
1: so I simply was like, this is a useless comment. <laughs> and it was not. No, it was not. But the first time watching it, not knowing what was going to happen in a moment, I'm like, duh. And...
0: First time watching it again, not knowing what was gonna happen, I was terrified that Beelzebub was gonna just smash the fly. I thought that was how
1: it's gonna work. I thought, okay, like smash the fly and then it's gonna be released. Yeah. God, I was not ready what was about to happen. Yeah. no, No. Gross. Seriously, I would have appreciated a smashing of the fly, but since it's deer fly, it makes sense that Beelzebub is not smashing it. But the crawling in through Uh, the pupil, like I'm in caps, gross, no, thank you.
0: Okay, one last thing I'm going to say before I get into the Gabriel, and that is just me boasting. And that is, I knew it. I was super fucking happy about finding out that the fly was real. It was indeed Gabriel or Gabriel's memory, it was connected to it. It was originally in the matchbox. It was taken out of the matchbox. I was very, very happy about myself because it is a small enough detail for me to be able to see and then follow through that still it doesn't spoil anything that happens and it wasn't a guess of a thing what's going to happen with it. But it is a big enough detail to be part of the story. So I was, this is a perfect level of prediction, if you will.
1: I was very impressed with you because you were completely spot on. The fly was in the (laughs) box. We went back, made sure the fly was in the box. The fly keeps being around. In the bookshop, it does not go outside, which makes sense because it stays near Jim. Mm -hmm. And in the end, the fly used to be in the matchbox. Gabriel opened the matchbox inside the box to have the fly in the box... And then drop the matchbox, because why not? And then the fly had the memory and la 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 Everything beautifully. But now the fly is inside the Gabriel and you take us inside the Gabriel.
0: Into the Gabriel. I only numbered the memories. I didn't actually go like scene by scene by scene by scene.
1: Oh, I just went through it.
0: Memory number one. Is our flashback to season one finale and this Yeah. Is-
1: I had forgotten how bad his hair is in season one and the finale because yeah. I remember us commenting on that. Yeah. He has really, really
0: bad hair. I don't think that Beelzebub and Gabriel really had a conversation before this. So this is why this is probably the first memory that we get.
1: Because this was the first relevant interaction. Before that, they were just like players on both sides. But now this is the first time that they have something in common. Because they Mm -hmm. now both have the exact same job, which sucks. Mm -hmm.
0: And that very... Quickly turns into the second memory where he is actually flying in his suits through his like cornea. Yeah. Feels like, which is really, really well made. It was so cute. Tailored suit. And in the second one, it's something that we haven't seen yet. It is Beelzebub in their new body, meeting Gabriel in a new face. A new face. Meeting Gabriel in a pub.
1: No, it's supposed to be a Russian cafe, according to. Amazon, oh. because you can hear super fucking random music in the background because uh-huh. it is pseudo Russian music in the background. All right. Yeah. And that made sense once I looked at the Amazon notes which point out it's a Russian cafe. Okay.
0: But they do decide to have background talks. Back Background talks?
1: What are you trying to say?
0: Was it background talks or was it like backdoor cl- talk or something like that? Uh,
1: you meant like if we're about to have a backdoor conversation it can be backdoor, neither... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they decide to have backdoor conversations. Which I had never
1: heard before but basically if we're talking about something that neither side is supposed to hear it needs to be on like basically neutral ground. I found... It's hilarious that Gabriel is taking so fucking long to recognize Belzebub because you should be able to clock a fucking demon but oh wait you're an absolute incompetent angel right I forgot about that who doesn't I care? Mean, you have to say Beelzebub so much more competent than Gabriel so yeah classic but they sit down and we have common ground for the first time ever.
0: Yeah. They are both being pressured into having the war regardless.
1: Yeah, they need to do a second round of Armageddon and both say, we kinda don't
0: well, they first say we kind of can't because we don't make the rules and we have to follow the rules, which suggests that there has to be certain things that need to happen before an Armageddon happens.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: And those things did not happen, so therefore the
1: fight can't go on. But there are ways to cause a second Armageddon, as we will see, or as we have already seen in the future relating to mm. this instant. but... Both of them are not really motivated to do it because all of this sucks. They're both very much like, why even bother? And with their non-motivation, they are bonding because neither Mm -hmm. of them is really into it. Mm-hmm. And so we keep coming back into the various memories. Because I think now we go into the memory number three, where for the first time we hear the song every day.
0: And yeah, it literally starts with, what about no Armageddon?
1: Yeah. And this conversation is so cute. And I am here for it that Gabriel is actually the one suggesting it. Yeah. Because I feel like Belzebub was the one initiating the meetings, mm-hmm. but Gabriel is the one to perform the relevant step. Mm-hmm. And now that we are here... They're basically
0: both making relevant steps because... But different Elizabeth ones. creating the opportunity for any action being taken is also a big step. Yeah,
1: but Gabriel is the one taking the relevant step and then... You go through the memories and everything. And so it's Belzebub initiating contact. Gabriel being the one to suggest no Armageddon. Gabriel being the one to change the music. And
0: creating their song. Well, I mean, first Beelzebub is the one who points out the
1: song and it's yeah, But, teaches but, but him that is song, that is basically. just like something pointing out. But so but basically Gabriel Miracling the song. And then Beelzebub reciprocating with an actual gift. Mm-hmm. So in both of those instances, one is the one who sets the stage. And the other is the one who does the bigger gesture. The bigger thing. Mm-hmm. So Gabriel, the one who who does the actual suggestion. And then Beelzebub being the one who does the actual gift. Mm-hmm. Like the physical gift. I am here for their relationship because... This feels very balanced while both are very, very different. Yes. And this is what I enjoy.
0: Yeah. And they're both clearly enjoying each other's company, and it's something new. For both of them. I was actually worried that you were going to hate this and that <laughs> it would be rushed for you.
1: Oh, it is rushed, but it makes sense. And so I don't mind.
0: It is rushed because we are flying through the only the important moments.
1: Exactly. And that's the point. That is exactly the point. It only seems rushed because we are getting a play-by-play throughout it. It yes. was not actually rushed because it happened over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. But yes, it is rushed and it is something that I have commented on or that I will have been commenting on in the future. But it makes sense because of their respective roles, because of the way they interact, and because they are similar but different. Mm -hmm. Because when we are now in the third memory, that neither of them actually wants no second Armageddon is incredibly unusual. All the other normal angels and demons want a second Armageddon. They want the great war. The only exception to this were until now Crowley and Aziraphale. And so this is wild. This is big. So I don't mind the rushing because of the intensity of it. Mm-hmm. And in this third memory, as you pointed out, Belzebub explains music to Gabriel. So Thank you. And then once they have explained it, both of them go popping their hats along to the music, and. I- I am sorry, I'm not a very romantic person, but this is one of the fucking cutest things I've seen in a long while. The two of them sitting there and going boop, 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 boop. But of course, memory free is the second time we get the line there is no need to meet again. Mm -hmm. And yet we go another time.
0: And this is why you can tell that they are no longer meeting out of necessity.
1: Yes. From this point onward, there is no necessity for meeting.
0: So, obviously, they actually go out what feels like a date, because they go to the cemetery. In
1: Edinburgh! The fucking Edinburgh Cemetery! With the fucking statue!
0: With the fucking statue. He literally brings Beelzebub to a cemetery to look at himself, at a statue of himself. And they are, like, slightly exasperated by that. Yeah. They're like, "Mm, can we go to the pub,
1: please? I was like, maybe Belle is now wondering why they keep meeting him. (laughs) A
0: little bit. But then the whole situation in the pub actually happens. And it's just...
1: We go into the pub and Gabriel is ordering, well, is trying to order beers and a packet of crisps and everything and has a conversation with the barkeeper, which of course is the dude that the interviewed. La 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 la. Like, everything makes sense. And then, of course... It starts finally falling into place. Yes. And then, of course, the question Oh, what is this? Oh, it's a jukebox. La 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 la. You put money into it and then it plays the song you want. And Gabriel's like Ah! You're humans! And then he does the miracle. And from this point onward, this amazing uh, amazing jukebox only this high fidelity jukebox will only be playing every day because this is the song it is the song we now have the handing over of the fly and the fly is a container that is bigger on the inside and i mean the fly is a fucking TARDIS. Obviously. And because I'm a very dim person sometimes, before we wrap up this scene, I was like, "Uh, okay, so are these two now starting a budding romance? Because when the fly jumped from finger to finger, they touched longer than they actually needed to. Yeah, I'm great. I'm so smart when it comes to this.
0: so cute. Yeah. Okay, let's get into this. So, uh, bookshop, we come back to reality and...
1: Silly, silly angel.
0: This obviously explains why Beelzebub was feeling so down and depressed. And when Gabriel says, I was coming to you, but I forgot, I
1: was just like, oh my god. The way Beelzebub walks up closer to Gabriel, now that Gabriel remembers who he is and who they are. And the way they say, silly, silly angel, is so adorable and the fact that he was on his way to Belzebub is so cute but also Belzebub acknowledging that Aziraphale probably had more resources to actually help him mm. like the awareness of Belzebub Belzebub is very unusual for a demon, which makes sense. But especially comparing Beelzebub and Gabriel. like Gabriel is more of an angel than Beelzebub is a demon, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But you know what is really, really, really very much a demon? Dagon nearly throwing up <laughs> in the background with all of this happening.
0: Yeah, that was so Adorable.
1: funny. <laughs> Adorable. Adorable.
0: Oh, I was like, this is
1: so cute. Yes. <laughs> I was very much here for it.
0: Yeah, very much so. And of course, it wouldn't be shucks if she hadn't been exclaiming, Traitor! Traitor! I love Beelzebub's absolute explanation because they say, I didn't collaborate with heaven any more than Gabriel collaborated with hell. Because that's what it is. And Gabriel, if the demons can think about it for a second, if they had any sort of brain Mm. space at all, Gabriel didn't collaborate with hell. No. He collaborated with Beelzebub. And that's the thing. That works vice versa as well.
1: But for most angels and demons, there is no individuality. There is only the respective group. There's only heaven or hell Mm -hmm. and nothing else.
0: (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately.
1: And once you start thinking about yourself in me terms I think the way is paved which is why it makes sense to me that Gabriel ended up where he is because he had the necessary arrogance because you need some level of arrogance to be able to separate yourself from the group and look at yourself as an individual because I love Crowley but he also has a very healthy amount of arrogance oh yeah Oh, and yeah. so does Azeraphil.
0: Well, this is the thing, right? Beelzebub says that whole thing about collaboration, and then with the same breath adds, I just found something that mattered more to me than choosing sides. And my reaction to it is I want this for Crowley and Azuraphel. Also watching Azoraphil at this moment watching this and grabbing Crowley's shoulder. When they hold hands. Seem- it's the moment. Hands, yeah. Being seemingly excited for them and Being on board with this, this is a moment that gave me hope.
1: Yeah, this is a moment that paved the way to make the finale properly painful.
0: Mm -hmm. Even worse than it would have been otherwise, yes.
1: Because I was wondering, does Aziraphale simply like seeing people in love? Because this is the way he was about Nina and Maggie as well. Or is he hoping for his and Crowley's future, given that this way they would not be the first angel-demon couple? And I don't know, the, I don't know, I don't know which it is. Is he just like, oh, this is so cute. And so he's touching Crowley because he is his closest friend. And it's like, oh, look at this, so cute. Or is it, this is giving me hope. And like you, this was giving me hope. And then they took it away.
0: As you pointed out in the last episode, they really don't touch a lot. So having mm-hmm. this happen on the heels of zarafel grabbing Crowley's hand and dragging him to dance, it obviously is giving us hope because this is the way it is written. This is the way we are supposed to be feeling. Yeah, and pretty sure. unfortunately, it, this the way it's setting us up for the thing that never
1: happened. Before we delve into that, we have a very short humor moment because Michael is commenting on the fact that there is mortals there and someone should turn them into Pillars of Salt, which, of course, is a Bible reference. It's uh, Lord and his wife Wives. and children and something. It's like Yeah, great Bible stories. They're all atrocious. And Crowley steps in and he dissolves the situation by saying he's going to take care of this and ushering the mortals outside.
0: He dissolves the situation like a pillar of salt.
1: (laughs) He's a cup of water over salt. (laughs) I'm glad that you find joy in this. I found joy in the outside scene for a moment because the moment Nina leaves the shop... (laughs) she realizes that there's people queuing in front of her shop and that she should have been open half an hour ago. And I really had to think of you in this moment because it's like, oh. fuck everything, do my work. Work. Yes. Obvious,
0: but that's how it works.
1: Yes, that's I love how it, it. works.
0: You are there to make sure people are caffeinated. And this is one of the most important things for humans.
1: Some of us worked all night, as Mrs. Sandwich says. Well,
0: that's the thing. People who are not on caffeine can be very cruel and rude. Understandably so. And unfortunately, in my job, mostly I encounter people who did not have any caffeine.
1: Because they come to you for their caffeine. Did you spot Metatron behind Mrs. Sandwich. Yes, I did. I was worried. I was
0: was instantly worried and I was trying to find a different reason for him to be there. I was trying to convince myself that I have seen it wrong. I was trying to convince myself that he is just another actor who has been cast in a different role. season two even though we just fucking saw him as metatron
1: my approach was he's just checking on the supposed love miracle
0: well we all found our excuses that were all unfortunately
1: wrong and while we are looking at the queue crowley apparently is miracling the demon eaten dude back to life Just like with a wave of his hand. Again,
0: proving that his power is much bigger than we realize because we know for a fact that bringing somebody back from the dead is... Maybe he wasn't
1: fully dead. Maybe only his newspaper got eaten and he only got like gnawed on or something. And of course, we go inside the coffee shop and we have the first visible moment of growth for Nina Mm -hmm. because Maggie offers to help. And Nina does take her up on it by sending her to the shop.
0: And she stops herself before she does that because she was about to say no. She was about to send her away.
1: Which is why I say yay growth. And which is why Nina is growing on me because she is showing growth. I do not feel that Maggie is exhibiting any kind of growth throughout the season.
0: See, for me at this point... I think there is some sort of a growth in this episode specifically and in this episode only. For Maggie? For Maggie, yeah.
1: Mm.
0: Just because we started her off as Maggie and we (laughs) end her off... A little bit more confident and a little bit less afraid to speak her mind. But for me, the most important moment for the two of them is I am
1: so happy that they
0: didn't end up in a romantic relationship.
1: We're going to talk about this when they come back into the bookshop because we need to talk about this.
0: They come out of the night currently and they are being friendly and they have connected overnight. They are being supportive. But yeah, they're being supportive. There's no hints of romance in this. And this is what I want to see. Yes. Because this is the healthy development that we can expect after a situation like this. So yes, I wanted to point that out.
1: We go into the bookshop and we keep half a lens in the window. So we see when Crowley walks past and enjoys what is happening. And I'm very much here for this. Because Zero fell ringing a bell to make everybody shut up and Crowley walking past. Looking inside and chuckling to himself because it is fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then Azorophel, of course, says, like, everyone talk one by one.
0: Mm hmm. And we get the whole one by one.
1: Which I honestly did not really care about.
0: (laughs) And hell. And I didn't actually make any notes on that either. The first thing that I have a note on is, well, what if we ask Gabriel and Beelzebub what they want?
1: There's a tiny thing that I wrote down. We are reserving the right to send him to hell as a punishment, (laughs) which means they still end up in hell, but it will have been our decision. Because this, if nothing else, describes the way heaven works perfectly. Exactly. But yeah, I love that. Let's ask them what they want, which is amazing.
0: And Crowley, in the meantime, walks back into the bookshop and mm. he starts breaking my heart all over again.
1: So we have the where Beelzebub is, is my heaven, and where Gabriel is, shall forever be my hell. And this leads Crowley to make a recommendation.
0: Mm-hmm. He mentions something that he has mentioned to Aziraphale in Season 1.
1: Yes, his backup plan for them. And he offers it up to them. He says, Alpha Centauri is really nice. No nightlife to speak of, but well. And Aziraphale looks at him while he basically offers Alpha Centauri up to our very fresh couple. And I was once again steeped in false hope. Yep. Because the way he looks at him, he knows.
0: He knows that this is the place that Crowley has dreamed for them.
1: That was his backup plan. If we're not on Earth having us, then this is where we could go. And him handing over his backup is a sacrifice. Which is adorable.
0: And Israfel (sighs) is into that. He is at this point still into this. And I was like I have so much hope for you.
1: Yeah, and because I know how it ends, I feel like we're reading him wrong, and I'm very confused. But I we don't will see. Think-
0: I don't we will well, see. we'll see in the next season. But... Before
1: we have to take a we have to put a pin in all the romance issues that we have, because there is some exposition happening that is important. Because we do get confirmation here by Beelzebub that hell is severely understaffed. We don't get an information as to why, but we do get confirmation to the that. Which mm-hmm. is probably one of the reasons why Shax was not able to get a Legion, not even close. Mm-hmm. So curious, curious, curious. We also missed or we also skipped over a Job reference because there is a history of hell doing heaven's punishment, like with Mm -hmm. Job, lovely man. So now another reason that the flashback was relevant, as you pointed out in your previous Leon, that all of those flashbacks were totally Mm relevant. And then we have a situation where I have questions. Because mm-hmm. in all of this turmoil, Shax is like oh, traitor, 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 and Balderbob points out that well, Shaxx, now that I'm gone, maybe you can be a new Duke of Hell, and Shaxx instantly latches onto this. And then you have this interaction between Furfur and Shaxx. Is that flirting?
0: I called it in my notes frenemies for
1: life. Okay, because I was like, she's like hissing at him, and then they're bumping fists, and he's being. Sp- with like, oh, you're gonna be great, and like basically implying that she is gonna be at her side. So I'm like, is this flirting? Do we have a demon demon couple now? Mm, maybe. Okay, so dear listeners, if I was not the only one who read this as flirting, please let me know because I need to know if Furfur and Shucks are a thing and if they have a ship name. Furfur and Shucks. Shuckfur. No. Frax. Fox. Fox. Ah, Fox. (laughs) Oh, my God. No, please let me know. Fracks. Best one, but still bad. So, yeah, Mm. that is all I have for this. One more thing that
0: happens in this scene. Obviously, Gabriel and Beelzebub do not wait for anybody to tell them if they're allowed to leave or not. Oh, right, they, just, they leave. Right, I forgot They that. just start <laughs> singing a song and the lights go Every berserk around them. It's a and they just disappear. And again... I say, I cannot cope with the way Israfel looks at Crowley at this point, at this very specific moment, because... It's not real. He's lying. He is watching this. He's lying. to himself, it is possible. And then when Shax goes through this whole, like, oh, I might be a Duke of Hell, whatever, and Crowley asks for his flat back, Israfel looks at him... Like he fucking is the miracle that has been sent to him. He looks at him with so much love and happiness. I could not cope with that. I could not. Because this was the moment when I was watching it this first time. I was like, yes, it's happening. It's happening. Yes. And watching it the second time, I was like, you liar. You such a liar.
1: Lying to us. We skip over to the coffee shop and once again we have Queen in the background that I once again could not make out. The song we are supposedly hearing here is The Show Must Go On, which is very fitting.
0: And it will keep on playing from the coffee shop into the bookshop.
1: I did not notice that. I was too busy sobbing. So, yeah. Before we go back, we have the interaction with Metatron and... As much as I dislike Metatron, his question is amazing. Do people ever ask for death? Great question. (laughs) Humans are so predictable. They never ask for death.
0: I think that he would love for people to ask for death and then he would love to work there because then he would be freely giving people death, which is something that he clearly enjoys.
1: No, I think he has a very strong disregard for humanity, just like all the other angels. And so he would not enjoy... Handing out death one by one. He is here for the entire annihilation of all that is to life and creation. Rude, but also fucked. Yeah. But with him, we go into the bookshop because Michael is spewing bullshit about the book of life and having the competence to do stuff. And then, of course, the Metatron walks in and goes, Baldadash, Piffle. And I was like, what? And yeah, Metatron does not stop with the funny words.
0: Yeah, he does
1: not. Why do they not recognize the Metatron?
0: I do not understand that. It's my question as well.
1: Okay, I mean, it's great that Crowley is the only one that instantly recognizes him. Once again. again. Makes
0: sense to me because he does not recognize the lowly angels. He does not recognize the lowly demons. He recognizes the Metatron.
1: Yeah, but the last time he saw him he was ahead.
0: I mean, does he recognize because he just saw him watching the trial? Yeah. Or does he recognize him because he remembers him from his time as a No, because
1: he just saw him in the trial. Parkinos does. Hmm, you are with your, he is the highest order. That is gonna be your thing in the future. We're gonna put it on the question list. So finally, everyone goes like, gas the Metatron. And once again, Uriel asking the relevant questions Have we done anything wrong? And Metatron, like the asshole that he is, does not answer this, but he says, Well, that remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. So he sends them off. Except the dim one, Root
0: rude indeed, regardless of how true it is. Yes. He keeps Muriel there. He is starting to behave very nice and sweet and it, he was giving me a vibe of like, I'm just an old harmless man yeah. who brings Zraphel his coffee and all. And then when he takes Zraphel out for the chinwag, yeah. Zrafel turns around, starts walking away and the look Metatron gives Crowley at this point has made me extremely worried.
1: The thing is Aziraphale looks at Crowley basically asking for his opinion on this and Crowley says go along, the day can't get any weirder. Basically jinxing it. Mm -hmm. Boy was he wrong. But the thing is Aziraphale here is looking at Crowley basically for guidance because any fucking time Aziraphale does something by himself, he fucks it up. Aziraphale cannot be left alone because even while supervised, he will still fuck shit up. And because Crowley has had a doozy of a day, he's like, sure, go ahead. And he lets him go. And from this point onward, everything is fucked. (sighs) So Crowley gets up and starts pacing around. And then he realizes Muriel is still there. And he keeps talking that once all of this is done, he and the are gotta go for a very alcoholic breakfast at the Ritz. Which... I don't think I need to remind anyone is how season one ended. Two angels in the Ritz and a
0: nightingale. You might have to remind us that this is how how it ended. And a nightingale
1: (laughs) singing. So he's saying how he wants this to end. How he is expecting this to end. And Muriel, being a bit slower, needs some information that they need to leave. And so Crowley does a thing he hasn't done the entire time he was minding the shop. And that is giving a book away. And so I am, despite the fact that, None of the Amazon notes and none of the IMDb notes point out any kind of relevance. I am sure that there is a reason why he's giving Muriel that book. Because he is giving away a book, which is something that he has never done because he knows the ZeroFel doesn't want it.
0: Well, he's lending a book. I don't think
1: so. Muriel asks, can I have a book? And he is giving them a book. There is no return it later. Yes, at the end of the day, Muriel gets the bookshop and so the book does not leave the bookshop, but Crowley doesn't notice. So... Him giving away a book is something. And I am all the emotions because Crowley here is spelling out how he in this moment wants this to go. And now we pop over into
0: the coffee shop. And we are there just long enough to understand that Nina... And Maggie had a conversation and they need to share the result of that conversation
1: with And Nina is not in agreement, but is going along with it.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: Maggie is the meddling one, once well, again. Well, meddling. She is the one who says we need to tell them.
0: Does this count as meddling? Yes. After everything that Azrafel put them through?
1: Yeah, it is an eye for an eye, but it's still meddling. I'm, it's anyway, fair, but... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's two-directional meddling. <laughs>
0: Anyway, they agree in somewhat that they need to talk to them. And them stands for Israfel and Crowley at this point. And now the Maggie and Nina are becoming us because they want to ship the two of them and they want them to be happy. So they come over to the bookshop. And in the meantime, Crowley has decided to clean the place. So Israfel comes back to his home the way he likes to see it. Because he knows where everything goes. He knows where everything goes and he knows how Zrafel likes
1: it. (sighs) Here enter the mortals. I am never a fan of people straight up telling others how things need to be done. Because 99% it goes wrong. As it does here. But it's not because of that. No, but the thing is Crowley would not have... Confessed his feeling in the way that he does. If he hadn't gotten the push. Who knows how the situation would have played. I'm not saying that any other result would have been better. But meddling never works. Ever. I am in agreement that Crowley needed the external push. Because time is irrelevant to immortals. Crowley and Aziraphale could have gone on at less than a snail's pace for several more millennia. And while I am still sure that at some point it would have been Crowley to state what he wants, it would have taken a lot of time. So while I dislike this tool of storytelling and I dislike it in real life as well, I see why it is necessary and why it makes sense.
0: We get to learn a little bit more about what happened between Nina and Maggie at this point. They confront Crowley about the meddling. (laughs) Yes, and they are telling him off, basically. Rightfully or they so. they want to tell both of them off, but unfortunately, Zorafel is not there. And they are absolutely right. Nina is definitely not in a place to start a new relationship. And I really appreciate that she knows that. And yep. I understand Crowley's logic of you were crying and Nina needed rescuing. Because that is the motivation behind all that meddling in his head. And he truly believed that And because I know Crowley well enough at this point to understand that this is who he is. He likes to help people, and he likes to make people feel better, and he truly believed that this would make the two of them feel better. But he by himself
1: also would not have meddled. But
0: that's another thing,
1: exactly. I also enjoyed the several
0: parallels that are getting laid out here. So, for example, Nina saying, I would hope that Maggie's going to be here once I feel ready to be in a relationship. And Maggie going, of course I'm going to be here. And Nina saying, you are not helping Angel. And calling her Angel is very on the nose. Nope. But I enjoy this parallel. Because this full on puts it onto Nina in this situation. Is the one who is insecure. Is the one who has gotten more experience in the matter. Yet it is not clearly good enough for it to start a real relationship that would be beneficial to her or not abusive and stuff, while Maggie is the one who's just walking blindly through life, expecting the best out of people, which is very Azorafel thing to do, and expecting the best out of angels as well, which is what we are going to, about to see in a second. So I enjoy these parallels because they bring some of the points that we're going to see home. I know that you're not always the best at accepting these, but...
1: The parallels did not work for me because they aren't done well enough. Nina going with the oh Crowley is the one who doesn't trust easily and I'm also the one who doesn't trust easily but now I'm starting to trust and so t- Crowley is going to trust and Maggie obviously is the zero full stand in who believes in good and magic and la 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 and it's like no 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 no. Crowley is not freshly out of anything relating to a relationship or similar to a relationship or anything he has been out of any kind of relationship for millennia he 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 has been utterly and devastatingly alone. And then the encounters of Aziraphale kept happening. And Maggie truly believes in the good of people. Maggie, as much as I dislike her, Maggie believes in magic. Maggie believes in the good of people. Aziraphale has an opinion upon what is good and moral. And what he believes to be good and moral is neither. As we saw when we were in Edinburgh. Aziraphale's vision of goodness is a veneer. It's a painting over It's a coating. Yeah. And so the parallels, no, Maggie truly believes in the good of people. She's a fucking idiot, but she believes in the good of people. And she gets confirmation in it by Mr. Fell giving her with the the fucking rent and by Nina opening up and by her being involved in the shopkeeper society. The parallels do not work for me. I see what it's being done. I see what's being trying to be done. It does not work for me. It does not work for me at
0: all. I did not expect you to, for <laughs> it to work for you. So that is fine with me.
1: <laughs> but I do agree with something that Nina or I think Maggie says. And that is that while the two of them, Crowley and Aziraphale, may be talking all the time, they are never saying what you really think. And that is really important. So this is the part of this interaction that worked for me. Because I think Crowley knew that, but the few times, and especially the one time that he tried to say what he was thinking, it didn't work at all. Because that is what ended with you go too fast for me. So I think he needed the reminder that just because it didn't work once doesn't mean it's not going to work again, even though it does not work again.
0: But it doesn't work in a different way.
1: Yeah, but doesn't change the fact that it does not work.
0: (laughs) Speaking of... They are on their way out as Ziraphel is being sent back in by the Metatron. And he is being sent off across the street with you do not have to answer immediately. Yeah. And he already he seems did. A little
1: hesitant. That's the thing. He has already answered. So this makes no sense to me. No, this is a this he, is an error. This is
0: no, he hasn't really of answered. Course. The answer wasn't No, this is not a note about him going to heaven or not this is a note about if he's gonna bring Crowley with him
1: oh okay I read it as this was meant to be a you don't have to say yes or no to becoming the new Gabriel right now which then in the next scene we obviously instantly learn it's a moot point because he already has
0: I think that he is hesitant and he is giving this a bit of a torn moment when he is walking back into the coffee shop. Because he knows Crowley. And as much as he doesn't want to admit this to himself. He understands in the back of his mind. That this is not what Crowley wants. And he doesn't want it for himself. He doesn't want it for his ruffle. And he is right. And this is like a hint of hesitation. That I read as he's coming away from it. From uh, I did Metastron. That. And that is what he is bringing into the conversation. But as we will learn. Throughout the next X minutes, he is very good at pushing any doubts down. Anything that doesn't fit his narrative, which is a very angel thing of him to do, it gets pushed down and gets denied. It does not exist.
1: I did not see any doubt. My first note of Aziraphale entering is, Aziraphale looks very happy, but you never know with him. I only saw him being happy. Because before Aziraphale comes back in, we have the patronizing interaction between Metatron and Muriel before we mm-hmm. go into the proper bookshop. But before we can talk about that, when Nina and Maggie leave, I happened to pause because I was like, oh, write my notes. And I paused on a still of David Tennant's face and Crowley looks incredibly sad when Maggie and Nina leave. So this is why, to me, this was he is worried. He is scared. But Mm -hmm. he also knows that he needs to do this, which is what we're going to be going into. So we'll see What the good news are that Aziraphale is supposed to tell his friend. And we're also going to learn after that what the patronizing interaction between Metatron and Muriel is going to lead to. But first we go into the worst scene.
0: Oh, I opened literally with, oh no, 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 oh
1: no. This scene, <sighs> I cannot, I hate this so much. Because this scene starts with Crowley literally saying, if I don't say it now, I won't say it at all. And Aziraphale just talking over him. Fuck him. Fucking fuck him. The
0: moment he says, hold that thought, my heart broke.
1: And Crowley's face. I don't have a word. The closest word I have is exasperated, but that is too negative. But he is used to this. And Aziraphale is just prattling on without making a point for quite a while, which is like, if you don't even have the fucking words to say what you wanted to say, you could have waited for Crowley to say What he had obviously been dying desperately to say. Because you don't even have the words to say what you wanted to say. But no, instead of fucking shutting up for one minute in your fucking life, you had to be the one to talk first.
0: Not that the order in which they talked would
1: have changed anything, I don't think. Probably not, but we will never know. And to me, it's not the order of things it happens. It's the repeated disregard for Crowley's wants and needs. And feelings. This is the thing where
0: we've just heard they talk a lot, but they don't actually talk to each other. And Zrafel is keeping with that. Oh, yeah. While Crowley is trying to break the pattern. When I realized that they are talking about restoring Crowley into an angel status... <sighs> My first reaction was anger. Yeah. Crowley wasn't angry at first. He was in disbelief.
1: He was completely disbelieving. Tell me you told him where to stick it.
0: While I was already getting angry. And I don't understand. What do you mean, Restore? He knows. He knows. They had this conversation millions of times. Yes. He knows for a fact that Crowley does not want to have anything to do, not just with his own side, but with the angels. And he might even hate angels more than he hates demons. Because at least with demons, he can easily do whatever the fuck he wants and he can...
1: Aziraphale does not know this because in Aziraphale's world, there is nothing worse than being a demon, which is why, in all the flashbacks, it was repeatedly driven home that Aziraphale insists that Crowley is not behaving in the way a demon would, because Crowley is not a demon. Because if Crowley was a demon, he could not fraternize, for lack of a better word, with him. Aziraphale's repeated insistence oh you're being so good you're behaving so good you're doing such good deeds is exactly where all of this was leading there is nothing worse than being a demon.
0: We have talked about this until we were blue in the face multiple times the amount of judgment on Aziraphale's side about everything that Crowley does and regardless of if it's a good thing or a bad thing that he does, the total acceptance of him doing the bad things because obviously he's going to be the bad person because he's a demon and the amounts of surprise that every single time that Crowley did not do a bad thing regardless if it was a good or a neutral thing the fact that it kept happening and we kept getting the same reaction from Azrafel was annoying and grating and now it has finally put everything together into creating a moment which I absolutely despise him
1: for. And it gets worse because even if we ignore all of the disregard and honestly disrespect, Aziraphale is exhibiting towards Crowley. He was the one, Aziraphale, who struggled with accepting his job when it came to Job. He was the one who realized in that moment, yes, with some help by Crowley, that heaven is a bad system that heaven is doing bad things that just because heaven says something does not mean it is instantly good we went through an entire fucking season where heaven supposedly followed the great plan which in the end turned out to not be the ineffable plan so even if okay god and the ineffable plan is good heaven and the great plan is not and aziraphale has learned that he was part of preventing the apocalypse in season one. So how, how in his fucking angel brain does it seem like a remotely good idea to go back with heaven, to become the new Gabriel? You cannot change a system that is meant to be bad. Heaven isn't broken. Heaven is evil
0: well the fact that he says the one thing that and i think this is incredibly naive and it is something that i have heard and seen before times and times again and it it never ends up well he says if i am in charge i can make a difference
1: you cannot because the system is not meant to be changed the system is the evil thing the system isn't wrong it's working exactly as intended heaven is fucking capitalism i'm sorry i don't know why you're sorry You cannot change the system by being part of the system. And you cannot fix the system because it's not broken. Yeah. The system
0: is working exactly as it was intended. <sighs> we have this whole thing and throughout this entire speech that Zrafel has Crowley is growing more and more restless because he understands that this is it. He will never have the opportunity to say this again. Because if Zrafel takes this job, it means he's gonna go away and he's gonna to be in charge of something that Crowley has despised his entire existence except for a very, very short moment at the beginning. And also it means that everything is going to end. And At this point, he realizes that if he's ever ever going to say anything at all, he needs to get it out now.
1: But I think he also knows that it's not going to lead anywhere. Like, he's saying this because and despite of the fact that it's not going to change a
0: thing. He is saying this because he knows that he needs to say it for himself as much as he needs to say it for Aziraphale. And I stun Crowley. I stun self-care Crowley. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs to do this for himself in order to be able to maybe one day move on. Yeah. Because if he didn't go through this, if he didn't
1: get the words out. There would be a what if. What if I had said it.
0: He would be stuck on this and he would not be able to commit to anybody else. Not to even himself, I don't think. Yeah. And I am so happy as much as I am heartbroken, that he has managed to do this for himself. And he has given Zrafel every opportunity to turn back and change his mind. Every single one of them, including the last moment, every single moment.
1: He is still going ahead with what he wanted to say. And I know I've said it before, but David Tennant's acting in this episode. The way his voice breaks when he talks and he has to stop mid-sentence. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm full of crying here. So, yay. That was <laughs> breaking me. I know, it's, it's just so good. And he goes, we are a team, but we spend our existence pretending that we aren't. And I would like to spend. And that is where he breaks. Because he can't even say it. If they can go off together, then so can we. And like you said, I adore Crowley for not giving up who he is, just for the chance to be with Aziraphale. I am here for it. I am absolutely here for it, for him starting to walk away. I am not here for the kiss born from desperation. I understand it. I think I understand why it was made this way. I understand that this is not born of love, but it is born of desperation. I'm pretty sure it was not meant to change Aziraphale's mind. But this, just like the saying, the words... He had to try. He had to do it. Because otherwise there would be a what if.
0: There is a moment before he starts walking away. He gets really up close to Israfel and... He says, you cannot leave this bookshop. And as Raphael says, the last thing that ends it all. He says, oh, Crowley. So patronizing. Nothing lasts forever. I didn't read this as as patronizing.
1: Oh, Crowley was so. I didn't. I didn't read this as
0: patronizing. I read this as you are holding on to something that cannot be. And at this point, Crowley puts his sunglasses back on. And that's when it ends. This is over. He is done trying to convince him. So uh, he starts walking away. And there is... Another thing that gets said and Zrafel says, I don't think you understand what I'm offering you. While Crowley responds, I understand a whole lot better than you do. Which again leads me to believe he has held a position like this before. And he understands full well that you cannot change the system.
1: He tried to change the system. This is how he fell. He has been there. You cannot change the system without asking questions. And he asks questions. And then he does the final
0: breakup moment when he goes, do you hear that? And Ezrefa is really confused and says, no, I don't. And Crowley goes, exactly, no nightingales. And we all know what that means. And then we have this whole, we could have been asked, we have the kiss. My heart is broken into a million pieces. I can't deal with this. I knew there was going to
1: be a kiss. Yeah, but not the context. I did not context. know
0: anything about the context. I am really sad and pissy.
1: I would have preferred to not know that a kiss was coming. Yes. Because throughout this scene, it was clear that the kiss we're getting was not a good one.
0: Yes. And I agree, I would have been so much happier if I didn't know that there was going to be a kiss. So I would like to say to the random person who posted it without any spoiler tags, fuck you. And even though you didn't actually say anything about the show, you made it very clear in your post that you are talking about good omens. And you have made this worse for me. So fuck you.
1: And also fuck you to the person at Amazon who leaked this moment. Also that. (laughs) Like, what? It's, it is actually damaging
0: to this fucking show to have even the knowledge, not even to see it, but yeah. to have
1: the knowledge that the kiss was going to happen, which is all I had. I saw the picture. I saw the grabbing. Mm-hmm. I saw the Crowley grabbing the lapels of Viziraphale and Pulling him close. And I really, really thought when I saw that there
0: was going to be a kiss, that it was going to be a good kiss. I really, really this thought it be a good This could have been passion.
1: Kiss. I thought this was passion, not desperation. Mm-hmm.
0: And then the thing that made me scream, I actually full on yell at my screen, is that as Raphael says, I forgive you.
1: <sighs> Don't bother.
0: And I was like, there is nothing to forgive. Well, there is a
1: forced upon him kiss to forgive. Yes.
0: I think. That kiss was very deserved.
1: No, it was not consensual and it was not agreed upon. So I do get the, I forgive you. Don't bother. Yeah. And I also understand the reply, but I do, I do understand it. And I'm happy that exchange is there. Yeah. Because it also, once again, showcases the high and mighty position that the Zero Felt sees himself in. Yeah. And it once again showcases the absolute no need that Crowley has for high and mighty. Mm-hmm. And he leaves. And yes. Metatron enters after a few seconds, during which Aziraphale somehow manages to pull himself together.
0: How? Because I'm telling you, he is a master of taking anything that doesn't fit his narrative.
1: You think he's the queen of denial?
0: <laughs> he is, I mean, listen, there is a there is a reason why you keep saying that we're the same person.
1: <laughs> I'm not saying you're the same person. I'm just saying in our relationship, you're the Aziraphale yeah. and I'm the Crowley, yeah. but not like this. Never like this, Mero. I would never be as rude to say, this is you.
0: (laughs) I have a question for you. And I am pretty sure I know the answer that you're going to give me. Do you think Metatron expected Crowley to react this way? And it knew. is why he sent Zrafel in. Because he needed to cut their bond.
1: Yeah, I am sure Metatron knew exactly how this was going to go. Because he has known Crowley since the beginning of time. Because I agree with you, Crowley was somewhere higher up, as is Metatron. So they had more dealings with each other. And I'm also pretty sure that because of what Metatron says here, with the damn pool questions, and he always liked to do his own thing and la la la, that Metatron was actually involved in the whole Crowley falling. So there is no way in hell haha, or in heaven that this could have gone any other way. And Metatron was aware of this. I don't think he sends Aziraphale in there to have this happen like this. But he knew that at the end of whatever conversation, they would be separate. And Aziraphale would still go along because he is easily manipulated.
0: Mhm. Okay.
1: We go outside into the final scene. I hate it. So obviously, we get the information while... Walking towards the elevator um, about the great plan and everything. And Aziraphale at least has the awareness to be like, oh, yeah, can I know more about this? Which I'm like, how have you not asked about this before agreeing?
0: Because it's Aziraphale.
1: And we get the information that the next part is called the second coming. So... My assumption Please? means season three. Jesus fucking Christ.
0: Jesus fucking Christ.
1: Yeah, because the second coming is the second coming of Christ.
0: Yeah, and Purge, right.
1: Like it's been a while since I read up on this, but Christ coming and separating the good from the bad and like the whole ascension thingy happening and like end of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, that's still happening then. I wonder because we met Jesus. That's true. And apparently, the Jesus that we saw. He got nailed to the cross because he told people to be kind to each other. In brief. Yeah, that is the only information that we have. And that would lead me to believe that Jesus is not as much as a dick as the angels are. But if he is part of the great plan and in the second coming, which then would mean the end of the world, then he would have to be as much of a dick as the angels are.
0: Well, this is where Azefo comes in because he knows humanity and he can guide people through certain things, right? Yeah, no.
1: And because our hearts were not broken enough, while all of this conversation happens, the camera pans over and we see Crowley standing next to the Bentley. He's watching him leave. He's giving him the option to change his mind. This is
0: what I meant by
1: that. Until the very last second.
0: He is giving him every opportunity he can to change his mind. Every single moment.
1: He is willing and available until the end. The only thing he's not willing to do Is follow him into heaven.
0: Yeah. For understandable reasons, he's not willing to sacrifice himself, (sighs) his personality and his own life, basically.
1: He's not willing to betray his essence, who he is on the very core. Aside from that, he is willing to do and give everything to Aziraphale. And Aziraphale is throwing away millennia of friendship and companionship. Even if he's not in love with him. Even if it's just friendship. Mm -hmm. He's throwing millennia of that away like it was nothing.
0: Yep. And then we end this fucking season with the credits rolling. And we have one
1: side. On one side we see Crowley's face.
0: And on the other side...
1: When he goes into the car and he starts the car, the radio starts playing. And what song starts playing? Of course, The Nightingale in the Berkeley Square. It's the season one finale song by Tori Amos. And
0: he turns it off. Of course he turns it off. Do we think that he is the one who made it play? Because this is still in his head is the situation and the remembering of how things ended last time. And he still wishes inside that this is how they ended this time.
1: And of that's course. why he had to manually turn it off. Because the Bentley is an extension of himself. Yep. And the Bentley is also the part that is in love with Xerophil Because we remember the car following Xerophil yeah. and everything. So yeah, that is the hopeful romantic part. So he and has he to turns it off. turn it off. And then we go into the outro with...
0: We get the credits in the middle, and on one side we see Crow's face when he's driving, which is painful. And on the other side, we see Zrafel going up in the elevator to heaven and to become the leader that he believes he can be, and I don't believe he can be for a second.
1: And we have been harping about uh, the acting of David Tennant, and I, I don't want to like uh, sell Michael Sheen short. The only problem is, I don't care. <laughs> Because we do get quite a bit of face acting in the elevator. On both sides, yeah. And I do understand that the Zerfell is heartbroken. But I do not care. Because he did that. He did that to himself. And he did it to them. So That's fuck true. him. So I'm sorry, Michael Sheen. Your acting is amazing. But I do not <laughs> care.
0: Okay. Well, I've seen this episode twice now. And I still refuse to full on believe that this is what they actually did to us. I... Uh feel extremely numb, I feel extremely unhappy and, well, as unhappy as I can be when we kind of saw all of this coming. Because we have continued to talk about this journey being taken over and over, but we hoped that we were wrong and we hoped that there would be a different outcome. And that was denial on our part.
1: Was it denial though? Because both of us knew about the kiss and at least I was misled. That that means we're getting a happy end.
0: Oh, yeah. I thought that that was a happy ending. Yeah. I am extremely angry with Uzrafel. And even though we saw him head this direction basically since episode two, it's still so difficult for me to believe it. I hurt for Crowley because after all these years, he deserves his own happy ending. And I only hope that he can survive this and move on. I also believe he is more powerful than we ever thought <laughs> and we've talked about this over and over and he was for sure one of the top dogs in heaven before the fall, which just explains so many things.
1: At least you've moved on from the fact that they have a shared apartment somewhere.
0: <laughs> well, I need a new
1: obsession to focus on. This is a good obsession. I'm here for this obsession. Mm, thank you.
0: I am going to move away from the husband for a second now.
1: Why? Are you nearly crying finally? No,
0: no. Because I'm going to think about the joyful things. Like, because I'm crying enough really, for both of us. Exactly. <laughs> I am really glad for Gabe and Beelzebub. But it does feel like salt in my wound. It <laughs> feels like a salt in my Crowley and Israfel-shaped wound. In my heart. So, you know, that's that's a little painful, but also good. And I am glad for Nina and Maggie not coming out of this night as a couple, as I have mentioned. But I also don't really have a need to follow up on their storyline any <laughs> further. I mean, I love Nina, but I feel like they both deserve to be strong and independent first before they can... Create any sort of a unit, and if they want to be as strong and independent together, that is a question that I don't really need an answer to. I cannot stand Metatron. <laughs> there is nothing new there, and most of all, I wonder where the fuck is God?
1: It would have made a difference if she was there.
0: Would it? It may have. I don't think so. I think it would have made bigger difference than if Crowley was the first one to talk.
1: So Maggie and Nina's story was wrapped up in a way I actually did not mind. I could have done without the Nina as Crowley and Maggie as Aziraphale made explicit paralleling, but at least Nina is not going straight into rebound land. So yay for learning to make healthy choices for yourself. I did not see the Gabriel-Belzebub pairing coming at all, but in retrospect, it does make a lot of sense. They are each a leader of their respective host. They each had a crisis of purpose after Armageddon didn't work. Belzebub was utterly depressed any time we saw them throughout the season. So I guess it tracks. Muriel was a cute addition, though I really would hope that they are a fast learner. Their excessive naivete was tiring, especially in this episode. Shaq's potentially becoming a Duke of Hell feels good to me. I am a bit confused about the potential flirting with Furfur, but eh, why not? Everybody gets to be happy, except the one that actually matters.
0: The <laughs> one? Crowdy, yeah. Yeah.
1: I got that. The revelation about the whole reasoning and process behind Gabriel's defection from heaven and memory loss did really work for me. While a tiny bit rushed, it does work. Arrogance and egotism both work well as a setup for a fall. Add to that the external motivation in the form of Beelzebub, and this also does track. But now for the problem at hand. Crowley and Aziraphale. I probably made my feelings more than clear during the episode. <laughs> what? But to write them out while not being an upset mess. I am so incredibly angry, and because Aziraphale in season two has felt more and more out of character to me compared to season one in Book of I am not sure if I am angry at Aziraphale or if I'm angry at Neil. But I am angry because season one and book is zero fill are Terry Neil. Season two is Neil. I
0: know. Well, yeah. They talked about the storyline, but yes, the details are Neil.
1: No, Neil has said in an interview that none of the ideas that he and Terry had for a sequel are in season two. Really?
0: Because I saw that they came up with that, and he—that's why he wants to. They had a
1: great second Armageddon thingy and everything. This is not okay. it. I only came across this today, which fueled my anger.
0: Either way, I am unhappy.
1: For whatever reason, Aziraphale has not evolved in a way I would have expected. He loves Crowley, but more the idea he has of Crowley, not who and what Crowley actually and honestly is. He has an opinion of what is best for Crowley and for them, and this is the only truth. I do not know if it is unwillingness or inability, but him not accepting Crowley fully with demon parts and outside of both hosts, him disregarding anything Crowley has shown in the last millennia, him not listening to Crowley, and when he literally says, let me say this or I won't be able to say it, and Aziraphale going straight ahead with his great news. There is no space for a true Crowley besides Aziraphale. There is only space for a reformed angel Crowley, who follows what Aziraphale considers right and good and moral. And all the while, none of what Aziraphale does is actually good. Or right or moral. It is the pretense of goodness, just like heaven. To me, Israfel loves Crowley selfishly. He wants him to be how he wants him, not how he really is. He has no respect for Crowley's boundaries and feelings. He has no care for Crowley's needs or heart. Crowley, on the other hand, does love Israfel because and despite of all his flaws. Be it the repeated minor and major fuck-ups Aziraphale causes, be it rescuing him from situations of his own making, be it indulging his obsessions. While Crowley has to insist and repeat himself to get Aziraphale to respect his boundaries, like for example with his car, Crowley knows and respects Aziraphale's boundaries all the time. Yes, Crowley did give him a tiny push when it came to consuming food, but other than that, he was content, waiting for Aziraphale every step of the way. And only now, after being told by external bystanders, after witnessing that this whole thing might actually be possible, is he verbalizing his heart's desire. And when Aziraphale makes it clear that there is only one way, that there is only the way he has already chosen, without second thought and without conversation, only then does Crowley lash out with desperation and force a kiss upon Aziraphale. And then he removes himself, but not too far. He remains in sight, giving Aziraphale the option to change his mind until the very last second. I have quoted Corinthians before about love in this season. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily anchored, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. To me, this is how Crowley loves the Aziraphale. And I'm pretty sure he will wait for him to see the malice and manipulation of Metatron in heaven. And then once again, he will be there to clean up whatever mess Aziraphale finds himself in. I think I would like to sit with all of this a bit longer before I have my actual final opinions. Let's hope the time until we record the summoning episode will be enough for me. I doubt it. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) And with this, Um... I am a sobbing mess again. Go into the credits. (laughs) (laughs) And with this, we say thank you for listening. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us as the Apple of Truth on Twitter and Instagram.
0: We will keep you updated if and when Twitter crashes and burns.
1: You can also send us your comments and complaints to goodomens at taot-podcast.com
0: If you want to get that sweet, sweet extra content, early episode release and more,
1: like six seasons of another show more,
0: head to patreon.com slash podcast. And if you If you like
1: what you hear, please do write us a positive iTunes review.
0: They help a ridiculous amount.
1: And don't forget to pester all your friends about us. Thank Thank you. you. Bye. Bye.